0: sound is.
1: Nick, almost 60 years ago, a little film called Zorba the Greek hit cinemas, and for better or for worse, for many non-Greeks, it was their first introduction to Greece, Greeks and Greek music. Either way, it's an important piece of work, isn't it? Definitely
2: is, Tom. And look, it's more about the book as well. It's about the people, uh, about the music and about everything, which I'm sure we're going to discuss.
1: Yeah, a a Michael Kakayanis film that starred Anthony Quinn, Alan Bates and Irene Pappas, just to name a few. Legends. I'm guessing you would have watched the film as a kid. Uh, What impression did it leave on you initially?
2: The impression it left on me changed over the years. I've seen it a few times now and I saw it recently. It's more about how others perceive Greeks in Mm. this film. The, The more I watch it, the more inspired I get, the more I get and it's more about the times of people that lived around that era and how they lived and how they perceived life in general which I'm sure
1: we're going to cover off in quite a lot of detail yeah and you mentioned there the book I mean it's much more than just that film in fact the original text by legendary Greek author Nikos Kazadzakis in my opinion is an absolute masterpiece Uh, the film simply didn't manage to encapsulate all that messaging which we'll talk about but The film also spawned arguably an even greater legacy in the form of its music, thanks to the work of the late legend, Mickey Sothorakis. I mean, an absolute legend, wasn't he? He is. He
2: is. And like I said, uh, I just can't wait for you to introduce our guest so we can get into the
1: into the nitty-gritty of this okay well we we do need some help with this obviously and uh true to form we've uh, we've managed to enlist the help of some pretty heavy hitters thankfully first off professor veracidas Karalis teaches modern greek studies at the university of sydney where he holds the sir nicholas Laurentos chair in byzantine and modern greek studies zorba is part of what he teaches and he's given lectures and written essays and books on the topic extensively He's published on the topics of Byzantine historiography, Greek political life, Greek cinema, European cinema, literary criticism, and contemporary political philosophy. He's the editor of the Modern Greek Studies Journal of Australia and New Zealand, and has also edited volumes on modern European political philosophy, especially on Martin Heidegger, Hannah Arendt, and Cornelius Castoriadis. His books include Recollections of Mr. Manoli Lascaris, The Demons of Athens, A History of Greek Cinema, Realism and Postwar Greek Cinema, Reflections on Presence and the Cinematic Language of Theo Angelopoulos. Professor, welcome to Uzo Talk. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here with
3: you. We are absolutely You're very welcome. honored to have you here. It's a pleasure, first of all, and then a, a nice parea feeling, as you understand, to be here and discuss about this um, seminal text and very important cultural, if I may say,
1: context for this book. Absolutely. As well, and the movie as well, Definitely. and the music. Absolutely. And Nick, we have another returning guest, would you believe? We just couldn't do this podcast without the help of Sydney Olympics conductor, composer and genuine Mikis Stilorakis expert, George Ellis. George, welcome back.
4: Good to be back. It's, um, you can't keep me away. Yeah. <laughs> it's great you, to be You've come Georgie home, boy. effectively. <laughs> Basically, I, my parents um, owned a house across the road, so yeah, yeah. Back, back home virtually. So it just is. on that,
1: the reason why, I mean, if, if we did George's introduction as well, we'd be here till next week. So nah, if, if, if you haven't heard our dedicated <laughs> podcast with George, Now's a good time to go back and hear his full story So make sure you, you go back and listen to that episode It is It's a great story Well Thank worth you. it Thank you Are you yeah, ready to have a drink George. again? Say again? Are you ready to have a drink <laughs> oh, again? Oh <laughs> boy We uh, overdid it last time I, I
4: think Yeah, I'm, I'm, I might make up for it today <laughs> Tom, Tom, I think we have to let our listeners know We've already had a few drinks We, we have mean, the, the party's already started But it has already kicked mm. off
1: The spirit of Zorba is already here <laughs>
2: Okay, so I think the stage is set, Nick, shall we? I think so, mate Let's go, bring it on
1: Thank you for being here.
4: Yes.
3: Okay. Llamas. Llamas, boy, this. Bravo. Should I Bravo. say asprapato again? <laughs>
2: Absolutely. <laughs> I think you should. Why not? <laughs> asprapato. aspropato. For those that don't understand what that means, it means white bottom. In other words, chug <laughs> it down, <laughs> empty bottom. That's it. <laughs> white bottom.
4: <laughs> chug it, it. <laughs> down, one <head. laughs> hit. Nothing, nothing wrong with an aspropato.
1: <laughs> well, let's start this little Oof. session on the right okay. foot with this quote from the film. Life is trouble, only death is not. To be alive is to undo your belt and look for trouble. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes from that, from that film. My
4: belt's slightly undone from last, <laughs> from last night's dinner, so that works out well. It's
1: still tight. It's got to come undone. <laughs> oh, dear. So, what
2: are we drinking today, Nick? Compliments of our good friend Nick, Andrea Tarkas. He brought us a, a beautiful bottle of uh, Cretan Tsikudia. Yes, oh, he did. Amazing yeah. stuff. Uh, like we said, Tsipro, what a great drink. Cretans call it Sikudia, Northern Ibero call it Cipro, I think. Zipro, no. uh, Cretans call it another word called Rakia. Rakia. Raki. Is that the old Turkish Ottoman Turkey. Turkey. term? Yeah. Rakia. Mm-hmm. And the Italians call it Grappa. Grappa. But essentially it's all the same thing, isn't it? It's moonshine.
0: It is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> aniseed. It is. No? Aniseed. And what, well, it well, there's actually, no aniseed in that one, actually. No, and no, no it aniseed. isn't.
2: Okay. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is this is leftover uh, grapes. That's how they make That's Zipro. That's right. So they got it's the seeds, the stem, the right. the skin of grapes. Right. So once they've made their beautiful wines, the leftover they make cipro right. or grappa or yeah, you whatever go. you want to call it. Wow. And then from there they feed the rest of the cattle. So they're the ultimate uh, environmentalists. These Greek farmers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> generally we'll go
4: with that. Yeah. Oh, right. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, let's start. Well, it look, tastes great.
1: Look, that you've actually met and spoken to Alan Bates, I understand, who played the role of Basil in the film, was the narrator in the book. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that encounter for, to kick us off. Well, Alan Bates was, if you remember,
3: was in love with a Greek actress, Betty Arvaniti, if you remember, and one of the most important, uh, important Greek actors, mm. actresses. We met once and he, I wanted him to explain to me how he participated in that film because usually his roles were, um, until then were B, in B movies, as you understand America, he did yeah. uh, in, in England and then in the United mm-hmm. States. And that was a defining moment in his um, career. So he explained to me how he worked with Anthony Quinn and how he worked with Kakoyanis and, of course, Irine, Irene Pappas, mm-hmm. who was probably the most A-legal. crucial figure in that film as mm-hmm. well together with lila kendrova with the mm. who is the tragic figure of uh, of Madame Hortense, Madame Hortense, the a tragic figure of human sensuality and sexuality, essentially mm. e- epitomizing that. Thing. Yeah, he was quite, you know, just, um, if I may say, happy about this participation. He yes. said essentially it reinvented his career mm. and made him as an international star that very few people knew before yeah. that, and then he became an international star. He was even um, a candidate thing for the for Oscar or one of the film, uh, one yeah, right. of, the, of these uh, awards back then, mm-hmm. but they didn't give it to him. But, you know, it was probably one of the most important, you know, films that exposed him to international audience. Sure. And it probably uh, Zoba the Greek is the most successful Greek film, made mostly oh. by non-Greek yeah. <laughs> actors. <Yeah. laughs> and it's very interesting that the main actors are not Greek, they yeah. they're just, you know, I mean, Zoba Anthony Quinn, Alan Bates, and then... As I said, Lila Kendrova, who mm. actually in the beginning was planned to be Simone Signoret, the famous French actress, Simone mm, Signoret, right. the most important existentialist sure. actress of that period. But she said she found the role extremely tragic for her. Right. Mm. And that would destroy her image as yeah. an actress. So Lila Kendrova, and she uh, was awarded the Oscar for the supporting role. Fantastic. Wow, unbelievable.
2: Yeah. Wow. But how good was... Anthony Quinn in the movie. You know, he's not even Greek, but he looked more Greek than Greeks.
3: He was Well it depends on what you mean by Greek. He created a Greek <laughs> an image of Greek, a right of being Greek. I think he was, I mean, the interesting thing about Anthony Quinn as an actor in, de, yeah. in general is that he was always himself yeah. and wow. that gave him a certain authenticity when he presented, he performed these roles. Mm. And his Greek role was very important, I think, his, the, the Greek persona, the mask mm. of the Greek I um, was very good because essentially it, it suited him. He was a multicultural um, sure. actor from Mexico, America, you know, just South, America, mm. South America and um, I think Somewhere in the Middle East, you know, it was, you know, a, a sort of a kind of actor who mm. combined styles of performance. Mm. But he epitomised the, the image of Greeks back then in the sixties. Confidence.
2: He, he, he created it. He created it. He created it. But, created but I'm sure it. we all know. He's saying that because of his acting abilities that Greeks ended up becoming like that or Greeks were like
1: that? I think the question is, was life imitating art or the other way around in this, in this sense? Well, if you see him in his movies in Italy, for example, mm-hmm. right, you know, just, you know,
3: it's the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. He's a perfect Italian there. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great ability of the actor mm-hmm. to become the, the role him, he or she impersonates. Yeah. Uh, but I think he, there are many strong elements of the Greek ha- uh, character as well, especially mm-hmm. in a period after the Second World War, when there was this feeling of um, repression oh, oppression, sorry, by the government, but at the same time of optimism mm-hmm. that things will become better in the future. It was a period of optimism that the Greece was under a reconstruction. In a few years, we'll become better and forget that between 55 and 69, we have the so-called economic Greek miracle, Greek, Greek economy was developing together with Japan more than any other economy of the world.
0: Mm.
3: Would you say that the book that he wrote and the movie that got released put Greece on the map? Well, first of all, the book. The book became very popular, especially in France, mm-hmm. Germany, and then finally with the English translation in 1956, became mm. one of the best sellers. Of for over a period of 50 years. It's the only, wow. if I may say, Greek novel that is reprinted to this day. Wow. Is that right? Wow. We estimate 38
1: reprints
3: of the novel. 38 reprints. And translated into 67 different languages.
1: And throw in audio books as well now, and that, you know, that, that will obviously equate to even more. I mean, it's a very popular book, believe
3: it or not, in the Arab countries. Right. No. Okay. Everybody loves that in the Arab countries. In yeah. Israel, in Israel, it was a cult figure, Zoba, you know, just before the film. Mm. And also, believe it or not, in India, in Vietnam, wow. in China.
4: Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. It
3: is the most successful book for many, many years. And mm. of course, for some of you, I mean, you're younger, you don't you have lived that with the 60s. Uh, generation, it mm-hmm. epitomized what we call the seduction of the Mediterranean, has right. been called, right? Mm-hmm. That sexuality, that sensuality beyond restrictions, beyond, if I may say, repression. And mm-hmm. then finally, something that the Europe Northern Europeans had guilt. Mm. Okay. Very interesting. Wow. There was no... If you see, I mean, the most important aspects of the film is the absence of guilt Mm. that we have. Very good point. Wow. Like we said in the introduction, it's more than just the book. It's the
2: book, it's the movie, it's the music, it's the dance. I'm sure every Greek known to man has danced the Zorba. It has created a culture, let's say. It has. With
3: all these elements. And if I may say in this case, uh, the most important thing in the film is beyond the story and this kind of things, is the photography of the most important Greek from England, Walter Lassalich. He's English from Germany, English, Anglo-Irish from Mm -hmm. Germany, who actually died in Greece. Wow. And so you he, mean the, the recording of the film? What do you mean by photography? cinematography you mean. The cinematography. Okay. Like we sure. call it in Greek the photography. The cinematography. Let's mm. say the one, the one who was behind the camera. Yeah. The director is, gives directions how to yeah. do that, but somebody is behind the camera. Yes. And that was Walter Lassalle. Okay. Walter uh, Lassalli, who received the Oscar for this as well, mm. which is amazing. Uh, sort yeah. of a cinematographer and the best cinematographers in Europe, yeah. and died in 2009, I think, in Crete because sure, he right. became a, a local, yeah. <laughs> Then, I mean, the way that he created these sculptural Greek forms mm. people who come out of the landscape, of the rocks, of the mountains, mm. of the sea, you know, just and it's this very stark, austere, Doric, black and white. You know, just photography that created, cinematography, photography. It's probably one of the best aspects of the film. You can see that the film has, as you said, this Greek element, but Mm -hmm. has also archetypal elements in there as well, which largely actually brought them to the fore
1: and to the consciousness, made them visually.
3: Visually obvious, yeah, it's
1: not something that's often spoken about with that film, is it? Now that you mention it, yeah, it's it's, it's fantastic. You work. can visualize it, can't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
3: And and the creative, you know, because Greece usually is the blue of the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you see Santorini, you see Mykonos, and these kind of things. There, you see a black and white Greece, but it's much more if I may say Greek, than the blue. (laughs) The blue of the Mediterranean, of Santorini and Mykonos. Would it work in color in that context? Well, if you remember, Kakoyanis, the director, had worked with black and white in probably the most important film that he made, Electra, Mm -hmm. with the music of Theodorakis, which I think... As you play the uh, guitar, you have to try that music. (laughs) This is an incredible music that Theodorakis composed for that film. When he tried colour,
1: he was not as successful as in black and white. Because it was a choice at that point. Colour film obviously did did, did did exist. 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 And this was 20th century Fox. It's not like they didn't have the money to do it. And it's 1964, 1964. not 1930.
3: But I think he avoided the artificiality of Panavision and uh, mm. Technicolor that we had back then. He wanted to maintain that essentially black and white meant what? Nostalgia. Yes, right. Mm. The past. Yep. Right. And actually, see, it's not black and white, it's a sepia. In many occasions, it's a sepia color they're going mm. there. You know, just Great And point. he knew very well how to do that. So it indicates that this is a nostalgic reconstruction of a lost past we just got a whole new perspective on it. Me too. <laughs> That's, that's mm. unbelievable. Wow. Which is a magnificent yeah. way how he did it. You know, Lassali and Kakoyanis accept that because he created... And as you see, the way that he used the camera is that you could see not simply the forms, but the volume of the body. I mean, he created this incredible sculptural perception mm. of mm. the images of human bodies. Yeah recreating as he said the frieze of the parthenon that was his idea Mm. so how can i recreate depth in the images then and lasali and kakoyans did that so i think that's a very important thing we see that created as you said nick a culture Mm. which is the music as well and the dance at the end which was the unofficial Hymn of Greece, essentially. National anthem of Greece. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
4: (laughs) Everyone knows.
1: Everyone knows this all. I was just going to say, just on the dance and the music, George, Mm. I mean, let's just talk quickly about Mm. your first impression of that, seeing that. What does it evoke for you, given that you are a conductor, composer? What does it evoke for you personally?
4: It evokes um, freedom and wildness and um, the ability to, or the want to, let go of your inhibitions. It does it because it builds, the, uh, it crescendos, it accelerandos, it gets faster, it gets stronger, it gets louder, and it gets m- more and more wild. Mm. And the wilder it gets, the more you um, relate to letting go of your troubles mm. and um, just go, fuck it, I'm free. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I've never heard it explained like that. And Theodorakis knew exactly what he was doing by starting off with a simple guitar strumming tonic to dominant. One and five and one and then just a single bouzouki mm. and then a double bouzouki and then by the end of it and you know we've done it with the Greek Festival of Sydney and we, we've orchestrated it and it's massive when the orchestra and in the movie you know it builds but also when we do it live when the orchestra is at full flight it's, it's like a freight train and yeah. you can, if you got in its way you'd be gone yeah. <laughs> Andre,
2: you did a great rendition of that
4: yeah we we tend to do it because uh, we, we love Mickey Sodorakis' music so much we perform it all the time yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know even when even the years when we say oh we did Zorba last year let's not do Zorba theme this <laughs> year but we do it and then we go oh we did it last year let's not do it this year but we do it even when we don't put it in the program we use it as an encore <laughs> because we just can't help ourselves it's, yeah. I don't mean this to sound negative it is a hackneyed piece by hackneyed of course I mean it's played it's overplayed but you just can't for us for me speaking personally I can't not play it Yeah, it's just so wonderful I love how it starts so simply and slowly and without any kind of thick texture and it builds into this Basically, it's a giant orgasm. Freight train. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: Dionysian. You, you just summed
2: it up. Yeah. Yes.
4: Dionysian
3: element at the end. I think what he, what you see is a gradual thing, and it goes to an orgasmic yep. uh, yes. Dionysian orgasm, essentially, yep. because I think the book represents this, according to Kazantzakis, this dichotomy that Nietzsche first observed in the Greek uh, tradition, the Apollonian and the Dionysian
1: elements. Mm. This is what Nick and I were talking about the other day.
3: That exactly. (laughs) Yeah, look,
2: that's just so... The way you just described it then, I've never actually thought... I feel that, Mm. but I never could think of... Articulate the words to explain what you just said. It's just so Greek. And we start very conservative and passive, and then we end up like this wild orgasmic abandoned. freight yep. train, like you just described it. Yeah.
4: That's exactly what it, f-
3: it becomes. It's a more frenzied after, you know, because it's a essentially frenzy. that's Greek. The, uh, that's the, Greeks. The purpose of dancing is ecstasy. Ecstasy in Greek means besides myself, to be beside myself. Ex istame, eh?
0: mm, get out wow. of myself.
3: So, this ecstatic element that we see in the film is amazing because don't forget that Theodorakis, at the end of his life, developed this idea, which I gave a lecture in the Greek community, that essentially the purpose of modern Greek music is to connect with the ancient Greek music. Mm. Uh-huh. Fantastic. And he actually tried, as he said, with his tragedies and his operas, at the end of his life, to connect with the first Greek songs that we have uh, survived, the Siculo song and the, some songs from the uh, Euripides' tragedies. And he calls the Cosmic Symphony. And Theodorakis evolved as well from 1964 to later on to a composer of immense understanding. But unfortunately, as I say, people think that Zoba is only a dance a sort of a music, but it's not. No. <laughs> it's something, what do you think? Oh, there's, a lot more there's, than
4: that. there's, uh, the music to the film in general is amazing. I mean, when um, Anthony Quinn's character, Ouzurba, of course, uh, says, uh, you know, that he was married and he had a house and he had children and he calls it the full catastrophe. Yeah. <laughs> the music that follows that is just beautiful. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's sad moments in the movie. I mean, there's, there's yes. deaths in the movie. Mm-hmm. There's a suicide in the movie. Uh, and, and murder, obviously. Yeah, murder, um, and a death, and the
3: plundering of the of the of the widow, yeah. of Madame Hortense. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
4: And the music to that is gorgeous. And there's uh, there's not only bazzuki. There's accordion. There's strings. Mm. It's it's uh, yeah. it's not just zorba as we know. It's not just the theme, uh, Zorba's dance. That is what we were talking about before. That's brilliant. But the rest of the movie has. He was a great film scorer. Mm. He was a great Absolutely. composer mm. of film. For yeah,
3: years, wow. I'm trying to find someone at Sydney University to work on his scores as well. Because before that, he made the score for Elektra, but also for two film noirs mm. <laughs> from France. Mm. so I just right. explain what scores means to our listeners?
4: Oh, so a sc- uh, scoring a film is writing the music for the film. Okay, So he, he was a beautiful scorer of films. And opera, and yeah, I mean... Well, I mean, you don't need me. To, uh, I'm, I'm sure, I think everybody that knows me knows how much I love. It. He to me, he was the best composer that's ever lived.
3: Yeah, wow. and if you see wow. his his first, one of his first films was the, the Barefoot Battalion, the Xipolto Tauma. Everything is like Wagner, wow. Wow. a huge Wagnerian symphony with, with winds, mm. with drums, with uh, uh, xylophones. You know, when you hear that, because it's about uh, um, 190 orphans during the German occupation, in Thessalonica, tried to survive by stealing from Germans. Toxipol mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, to Tagma, in, in great film, by the way, yeah. great film. So,
4: yeah. I mean, as well as the music to Zorba and all the operas and the other films we've been talking about, uh, he wrote a, a, a wonderful oratorio. people would know, axionisti, from mm-hmm. which we get disikio sinisilien noite, etc. There are some popular songs from that um, from that oratorio, which I just mentioned one of. But it starts with a movement called Genesis, and Genesis, the music to that is befitting of any brilliant twentieth-century composer from you know Europe, any other part of Europe or any other right. part of the world, um, and it's phenomenally complex and you know quite or very esoteric, and at the same time, this same person wrote. Yalo, <laughs> which is almost a childlike song. Yeah. It's I can't I can't get my head around how one person can write Yalo and Genesis from Maxionisti. Yeah. The, the mind boggles. Wow. Well,
3: I think for me, Federics, because I've written an essay recently on him, mm. combined popular culture with high culture. Yes, what you say in the beginning of Genesis is, I think, a homage to his teacher in France, yes. Olivier Messiaen. Yes. I mean, he composed, you know, the, uh, oratorio about the end of the world that he composed, you know, just a Messiaen, oratorio, a symphony for the end of the world. And Theodorakis, later in his life, after he finished this political thing, he revisited this past, Yes, as you understand. And yes. he, that's why we see that in 1940, he was only 19, 20 years old, yeah. he made this incredible, incredible orchestration of the funeral service of the Greek Orthodox Church. <laughs> of the Cassiany Troparion of the Great Tuesday of the of the, of the, of the Mothers, of the Week of, yeah. of um, the Passion. And he's an incredible composer, I think, of, as you said, compo- mm. com- combining mm. In Margarita <laughs> y Margaro.
4: <laughs> which is as, as pop and as catchy <laughs> as a song as you'll ever hear. Yeah, you? Exactly. With the beginning of Action as yeah. which is... I mean, even in actually he starts with Genesis, but then he goes to Enatohelidoni you know, a few movements later. Enatohelidoni is catchy, clap, you know, everybody in the audience when we perform it, clap along, yeah. but you can't clap along to Genesis. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. But then <laughs> the you have at the end, as you remember, the Magnificent of or- the Oh, the or is one of my favourite pieces is, of music. Which
3: is probably the greatest, if I may say, since you mentioned that, I believe it stands next to the ninth, the chorals, uh, part of the ninth. Beethoven's so do
4: joy in yeah, wow. you know, the Ninth Symphony, the last minute. And uh, the
3: way that it is done is, you know, just like eclectic song, mm. bang, 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 from the beginning till the end, and then interrupted with modern music, and then going, bang, bang, bang. Yeah. It becomes, this is really a sort of a kind of, one of the most, I believe, um, you know, that Doxa Stikon in particular, it mm. should have been one of the it was used for a period as an anthem, uh, anthem of uh, UNESCO. Wow. UNESCO. Yeah, right. So he said cliffs like northern Greeks. Yeah. <laughs> like Ipirotes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're the Peloponnesians people, here, right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, okay, so we've, we've spoken about some of these elements. You know, amazing cinematography, an amazing story to start with, incredible music to put it together, fantastic actors as well. As a piece of literature, why is Zorba so important? And why has it endured, do you think? First of all, it's very
3: well written. It's the first novel that Kazadakis wrote as a mature man. He has written some in his early youth. Mm -hmm. And his Greek language is not as excessive or exuberant as the other novels he wrote. Right. Then, if you read the book, it's a very experimental book. It sounds, you know, it sounds traditional and this kind, but the book is about a book, within a book, within a book, within a book. Yes. Mm. There are four novelists evolving at the same time. in, in that. In the, first of all, if you read the introduction, as I said, of the complete edition, it says that this has to do with my life in Berlin and, and Vienna after the Second World War, the First World War. Then he goes on with his life under the German occupation. Then during the German occupation, he, write, he wants to write a book. This is in the book, right? His recollections from Yorgo Zorbath that he have met in 1917 mm-hmm. when they tried to do that. So I said the recollection. Then he talks about himself trying to write a book about Yorgo Zorbas, And then within Zorba the Greek, has the writer, Alan Bates in this case, to try to write a, a play about Buddha. Mm-hmm which does not appear almost in the English translation. So you have this, a book tries to write another book and another book and another book. If you read, the the, the interesting key to the understanding of this uh, book is the final pages, Mm. which says, now, I wrote the book about Zoba, which is about me remembering of Zoba, Mm. which is about (laughs) Zorba <laughs> and me through the letters that Zoba sent. Me. Wow. So it's a very, despite its simplicity, I think the secret of the success is the utter simplicity of this complex structure. Mm. Kazantzakis tried to write about all these things. First of all, First World War and him, Second World War, because this book was written in 1943, and he said we have nothing to do. Back then we didn't have a a radio, the Germans had confiscated the radio. So what am I going to do? I'm going to actually start relating the stories mm-hmm. about Jorba, Jorgo Zorba to my wife and the friends from Egina because he lived in the island of Egina back then. And he writes about him, telling the story about him <laughs> <Yeah>. in 1917. <laughs> you know, And then he really has these incredible letters by Zorba, mm-hmm when he went to Yugoslavia back then, and he says, you know, he sends him a letter and says this incredible, I have to say that in Greek because it's amazing, Evron, I found, Petran Prasinin, a green stone, Oreotatin, Elfe Amesos, in ancient Greek, you know, just, you know, come, Fast, come quick, you know, come here up then, which is a magnificent thing, mm. and uh, you know, just uh, uh, how he incorporates a story mm. within a story within yeah. a story, and it's what we call a sort of a multi-narrative stuff. I don't want—I yeah. want to avoid the academic <laughs> <laughs> expressions Fantastic, yeah. Yeah. and well, parallel narratives, the one after the yeah, other. Sure, intensely yes. biographical, and then biographical, the story, if you remember, of his friend. Who died yes. in uh, Caucasus in the Caucasus region, which he, which doesn't feature in the film at all? off. Mm. Mm. and it has this incredible, incredible letters that his friend sent him, which I believe in one of the masterpieces of Greek mm. prose, mm. and every prose because it talks about, you know, just you know, uh, they were both in love with the same woman, and they were in um, in Switzerland, and uh, he has all this you know, just what Freud would have called disturbances of memory, <laughs> you, know, just, you, know, just, you know, which is a magnificent structure of the book. And mm-hmm. I think that very few people have noticed because of, as I said, of the truncated translation into English, Right. Mm-hmm. the complexities, the multi-layered structure of the book, and most importantly, for the very strong political element there, the very strong... Sexual element Mm. in the book. And the very strong, as you know, story narrative element. Greeks, as you said, Nick, before, tell stories. Mm. I mean, it's an amazing story, and it's not. In modern Greek literary criticism, we think that the only, only, only character created by modern Greek literature is Zoba. I mean, real character that you can, you know, you have in Australia, we have Stan Parker by Patrick White. In America, we have this and that and this and English. The only character, literary character produced in Greece is Zoba. Wow, it's crazy. Look, can I just take
2: that right back to the beginning now? I want to know about Nikos Kazantzakis, who wrote the book what do you know about Nikos and the time he grew up and what's his experience because obviously his experiences come through the in the book do you know much about Nikos Kazantzakis where he grew up <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start off with that I think that, that'll give us a nice transition into why he wrote the book and his thought process and so because he did write the book in his how old was he 48 you said and the book got published.
3: 50, 49, 49, <clears throat> yeah, almost 50, yeah, So he yeah. had caught a lot of uh, worldly experience by that stage. Well, because Zax is, uh, uh, if I may say, the only Greek writer who never, was not afraid to travel. Sure. And he said that the only things that keep me alive is travels and books. Because mm. mm. he had a really hard, fierce father, didn't he? His Wh- father who is was... later appears in the movie, in the, the book, Capitan Michalis, or Freedom End. Death, as we see later on, which is an amazing book, as you will see. I think it's because he de- describes the eh, the struggle of the Cretan people to be liberated from the Turks. As he says, from the eyes of my childhood, where all people are giants, you, because you're, when you are six years old, everyone is a giant. You know, just you know, in front of you, and It's she's this incredible conflict. So Kazakis was born, what we know, in 1988 in Crete, in the Iraqian of Crete, mm-hmm. himself thought that he was from the uh, a village called Varvari, the barbarians, mm-hmm. and he thought it was a great honor for him to be a barbarian, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because essentially that means that he was not simply Cretan, but because he thought, you know, he called himself the Cretan Philhellin, yeah, because he believed that Crete, being between Asia, Africa, and Europe, was essentially, in between, connected sorry? was in between. Continents. In between right. creates this three, the the osmosis, if I may say, the convergence of three, three continents, continents and three cultures at the same sure. time. I think you will know here, Yehudi Menuhin loved Crete because he went to Crete to, be, to see how they play the 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 lira. The eh? lira right. right? Yeah, he, he thought that it was a very unique. Mm. A sort of a form of presentation there which obviously if you see if you go to crete you'll see the arabic presence the ottoman presence the greek mm. presence yeah and even the slavic presence so it is oh, a very
2: hard people back then weren't they the cretans at that time when you grew up because i did read there was a saying where uh, athenians would eat a boiled egg <laughs> the spartans would eat a boiled egg with a shell on and the cretans would eat the Boiled egg with a shell on and
4: the plate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Thildelaki, going back to Thelder he's from Crete. Oh, he there you was, go. He was, he was born in Crete. Yes, so. that's
3: why he wanted to be buried there yes, uh, in Crete. Right. Yeah, 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 he was. Yeah, there
2: yeah, yeah he was buried. So, Nikos Gazanzakis ended up meeting
3: a, a, a real person called Yorgos. Sort of in 1917, for many reasons, people have speculated why, during this, just before the First World War and before, when Venizelos created a sort of a kind of a split a national division in Greece, mm-hmm. as we call it, he went to Mani, not to Crete, for mining in a quarry. You know, just mm. built, you know, to find um, Lignitis, what do we call it? Lignite, lignite, lignite. lignite. It's like brown, which, brown which coal. Which features in the, in
0: the story in the, in, in the book?
3: the story, is relocated in Crete, but in reality, it happened in Mami. Ah, wow. right. okay, right. Yes, yeah, so it's a top of brown coal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, but he failed, of course, and I think. And Zorba showed sure. him, you know, buzz off. Now you have be, more serious things to do. <laughs> thing, but and did he meet the, the Yorgos Zorbas, the real
2: person? Yeah. Was he a monk at Mount Athos? I believe that's where they met.
3: Well, what he says is that he tried to become a monk, but he failed. Too much too much Uzo. Okay. <laughs> too much Uzo, exactly. Yeah. I think worked at uh, was Too first. much sex. Yeah. And then he became uh, sort of involved with the army, you know, just the liberation of Macedonia, and sure. then he became this and because that. That's why he has this, if I may say, post-national perception. where are okay. all of this. I saw the Greeks committing that. I saw the Turks committing that. I saw the Bulgarians committing that. And as he says, bugger them all. You know, mm. just, you know, we are, this is not human. You know, we have to go beyond that, That yeah. he says. And I, I think that explains him. explains the 60s, uh, the generation of the 60s appro- appropriation of Zorba. Right. Mm. But there was
2: something about Yorgo Zorba that attracted him to it. And, and therefore he wrote a book. So what was
3: it about Zorba? Was it his freedom? Well, he's a, pro- oh, he his... a freedom. Then, you know, he's, as I said, he's a post national character. Don't we, we're talking about the 20s sure, and 30s. Yeah. Eh? We're talking about, but nationalism was and at this its was worst. Nico's experiences with his Yorgo. Yorgo and then don't forget that Nico after that left and went to Moscow. Berlin and then to Moscow and then he went to Siberia. Mm. <laughs> I remember, remember in his letters to Prevelakis he says I, I stayed in Siberia for um, three months I put in my brain, I insert in my brain, the one-fifth of human knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> he was reading constantly, he had uh, nothing else yeah, to do. No, Very no, really sure like true. And then he traveled. I mean, the important thing with Cousin Jacques is that he's traveling. He understood that human beings in the future, we have what we call today here a transnational identity. Mm. Not simply a multicultural identity, a transnational. Right. We can experience different cultural identities and still be ourselves. It's like you, for example. You're born in Australia, aren't you? Yeah. So you feel as Greek-Australian. Mm-hmm. So you move between... Both cultures. that cultures. You're a transcultural individual, not simply multicultural, transcultural individual. You move, you exist, and you're yourself in this case. You don't, you don't you're not, uh, the Australian element is not separate. From the Greek element, they the impact on each other. Yeah, great. It's like you, you know, just you know, just and plus
4: a musician, plus <laughs> a conductor, plus this. Eh? What do you think? We talked about that last time, and that is. Um, <laughs> you when you 're in Australia you feel your Greekness and when you 're in Greece you feel your Australianness and you feel yeah. both in both countries and they 're they 're separable to a degree but they 're inseparable in eventually or mm. from the start and so yeah this this duality uh, which is both um not um disarming disarming but it 's definitely um it, it makes you feel whole like it feels like one plus one equals two. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. great.
2: But sometimes you feel like you're part of one culture, but then you're not. Is it sort of a lonely feeling as well? Like, we live in a, we've got an Australian culture, we're sort of part Greek, which maybe might be a minority, but in Greece, we're like the minority, because we're the, sort of in between as well.
4: Uh, that's, and that's kind of what I started, that's what I meant when I said disarming. But in the end, for me, no, because it's comforting to know that I have the other, it, it completes the other half. Mm. I I don't feel I I see what you're saying and at first I feel like that but then I go actually that's not true at all I'm both and I love both and I don't want to be just one I don't want to be just Australian Mm. I love that I'm Greek-Australian to me it makes me feel amazing that Mm. I'm both and the both are one, if, that's, if that makes then sense. It's like a new new culture in itself. Exactly right. It's not just Greek, not just Australian. But, the, the, uh, you know, it's like it's being purple. You know, you're not blue, you're not red. You're absolutely purple. And in your blueness, you feel you're red. In your redness, you feel you're blue. That, to me, is what it means to be Greek-Australian. Mm. Very beautiful. interesting. And I think right you have point. to see
3: that in Theodorax as well. Yes. Theodorakis composed the most Spanish music in mm. Canto General. Yes. Right? You know, just, you Pablo Neruda. Pablo Neruda, Canto General. You know, I mean, it's the ability of people today to see things, not from one perspective as well. Eh? Identity Identity is something fluid. Changes, transforms, transmutates, becomes this and that at the same time. Mm. We have to learn as I said, the condition of modernity is that we have to learn to live with ambiguities mm. and move between them. Yes. And we are both at the same time, plus something mm. else, which cannot be deducted from your cultural origins as yeah. well. Because essentially our motherland is our childhood. Mm. Sure. I mean, childhood is what is this? What yeah. is childhood? You know, just the, it's a it's time, not simply a place. But mm. it's a place, but also a temporal end. And I think that Kazansky encoded that so well, especially in Zoba, But in, mm. I think that he managed that to do it in his uh, magisterial autobiography, Report to Greco. Don't forget that the diasporic identity. Sorry, Report to Greco. Is this El Greco, the, Peter, El, Greco, the El Greco. The epitome. And the beginning of diasporic identity is El Greco. Mm. A Cretan becomes the most important Spanish <laughs> yes. Mm. <laughs> painter. Yes. Mm. Wow. And that's why he, th- he wrote his last book, or the biography, yeah. because like him, he left Crete, mm-hmm. he became a cosmopolitan. But don't forget that the, word, the Greek word cosmopolitan means the whole world is a polis city.
0: A city. It's a city.
3: It doesn't mean that you don't belong anywhere. I belong to the world because my the world is my city. Mm-hmm. And that's why the last book he wrote, I think his masterpiece,
0: mm-hmm.
3: even if I may say, you know, just it's a blasphemy what I'm going to say, even better than Zoba, <laughs> is his autobiography. Because he essentially sends a letter to El Greco, how I grew up, what happened to my life, how I wrote Zoba, how I wrote this, how I wrote that, how Odyssey in particular, he has uh, a great poem, and how I became what I am today, mm-hmm. which is an amazing reflection. If you start reading it, you know, just, I mean, I had a German colleague at the University of Sydney who used to tell me, I've never managed to finish that book because I find it so overwhelming. Wow. I was so <laughs> overwhelmed by the imagery, the discussions, the truth of the whole thing but I never managed to finish Wow yeah. I did read an article where he did
2: write a letter to El Greco and in the article it talked about the Ottomans in Turkey uh, sorry in Crete who uh, his father made Nicol go into the main square where there was certain Cretans who were hung and hung where their tongues were hanging out of their mouth and mm-hmm. he made them, I don't know, I think I read one article said where he made them kiss their feet, feet yeah, or yeah. acknowledge them for what they, they did for the liberation of Crete and it really changed his life, he was only a young boy. It's a picture He's only nine years old. Nine years old. Nine like years old. Wow. Yeah. And he this? has
3: another story in uh, Report to Greco when we had the the revolution in Crete for the liberation of Crete from the Ottomans, the Ottomans come in, you know, the the irregulars to massacre the population. And, of course, abduct the girls, the women, and um, kill the men. So his father was behind the door, holding the door, and then he had one gun against the head of the child, another one against the head of his daughter. So the moment they come in, I will kill you both. And uh, at the moment that the, uh, the the Ottomans, the irregular Muslims left, so he said, uh, now he went out and, you know, uh, killed one of them. He took the sword, the yatagan, and gave it to him and said, "Take it to sharpen your your pencils." Mm. <laughs> wow. wow! So can imagine? Yeah. I'm talking about nine years old yeah. child, eh? yeah. you know. So just, what sure. you're going through. That yeah. thing.
2: So this is the person that wrote Zorba the Greek. So it's great context of what was going on in his life and in his mind at that time, it what he experienced. So then he met this unusual character called Yorgos Zorbas, yeah. which he lived a full life, I understand. He died at 75 and he ended up being buried in Skopje, I think we said. I think there's a, there's a monument of him in there. His great-grandson was a rock star in modern Greek music as well. But however, this relationship with Giorgos Zorbas ended up in this book. So, how
3: accurate is this book compared to Zorbas' life and his relationship? It's cool you know, he met with Mickey as well. His uh, the, his um, uh, his son. You know, he did he Zorbas really? Son. Yeah. Rock wow. yeah, and I think he the only rock opera that the director composed. Ilioske. Uh, Petra, you know.
4: The sun and the rock. Yeah, the yeah, sun and yeah. yeah, you know, rock. Yeah,
3: yeah. He performed it yes. you know, because he was a rock star. Right. A writer must take poetic license to reinvent the past. All right? First mm. of all, we see in the book the relocation of the story from Mani to Crete. It's not intended as a history. No. no. It's a reconstruction of his memories. Sure. Memories, as you understand, is something else from actually writing history. You don't write history, you write something else. And then I believe that many people, there's a whole whole book on this by Yorgos Anapliotis, but the real Zorba, as he says, which I believe it's a bit of a, sort of a kind of, um, um, how can I say that, they try to bring down this image of Zorba as a quirky character. Mm. But he was definitely inspired by Zorba, his philosophy on life because Nicol grew up with books reading in But if you read the book sorry for interrupting if you read sure. the book it's full of references to writers that Zoba would have never known okay sure Marcus Aurelius mm, wow the stoic philosopher Mallarmé you know the famous symbolist from France Paul Valéry uh, he has he makes references to Sophocles. He makes references, let alone to Buddha. You know, half of this is a, a, a Buddha, and of course, you know the book of all books for for uh, Kazakhs, Divine Comedy by Dante. Mm. He says, I mean, if you, he starts one of the books, oh, and the chapters of the book says that I must read some verses from Dante's Divine Comedy so that I can have some rhythm. <laughs> in my daily life. That's how the book starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In yeah the cafe yeah. in Pareja. Yeah, but so this is what uh, the book is a very yeah. complex document dedicated to the memory of Zoba, not to the history of Zoba, because okay. history, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a completely, he's not a historian, he doesn't mm-hmm. want to write an accurate description no, of what just his relationships of, his thought process and, his and what he as you said what he
4: actually ignited him to think about life
3: mm. Mm. imagine yeah, how
1: inspiring say, that yeah. individual must have been exactly
4: that's what it was it was an inspiration to say wow um how how would life be if there was somebody that did this yeah um and that's that's uh, that's what he wrote, but the movie more so than the book is simp- is simpler. It's just about that um, more so than the book, which is as I said is mu- much more convoluted and a book within yeah. a book within a book. The movie is fairly easy to follow. Yeah, yeah.
3: When I was younger, yeah. since you said that, you know, just when I was younger, or the scathing critique of the of the. <laughs> of the movie yeah yeah yeah. because it it wasn't as deep it's disconnected you don't understand how the one goes to the other it's episodes you took episodes from the book and it's it's always the case it's never the same
2: so when you read the book and you watch the movie you're always disappointed with the movie but if you watch the film without
3: reading the book it's It's self-sufficient yes it is yeah Absolutely. You don't know what you're before, missing
1: but. out on. The disappointing part for me, because obviously I saw the film first Same. and then read the book. Everyone has the gateway, which is usually the film. I found it disappointing to see that there was so much richness lost in the, the film depiction. There are characters, there are key characters that are missing from that from that film, like Uncle Anagnosti, for example, who I just felt as though he was the yoda of yeah, that yeah, yeah, <laughs> of yeah, yeah, that yeah, story. Yes. You know, this old wise man who who is imparting his you know, to some degree, village, but still quite worldly knowledge to village these... Philosophy. to philosophy. Yeah, exactly. Mm. He's he, absolutely unbelievable, and he's nowhere in the story. Mm. And that's just one example. There's only so much you can put in. Movies the movie. yeah, are hard
4: something. because as soon as you, you make it much more than 90 minutes or 120 minutes, it,
3: you lose your audience. People
4: say, oh, it's good, but it was long. Unless uh, it's uh, Angelopoulos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> True.
3: If I may say to that what you say, he, you have to choose episodes yes. that are crucial mm. for the, the story itself. And this is exactly what he did. I mean, something that we pay less attention is is that funny character, Mimithios. Yes. The mm. to Kuzulostukhoriu, the yes. man, uh, man, man of the village. Which is mm-hmm. an amazing character yes, in the whole sure. film, played He's by Sustarim Mustakas. Which film. is Sustarim Mustakas, which is like sort of the the court jester in, in King Lear. Yes. Mm-hmm.
4: And if I can change cultures, uh, talking about the uh, difference between movies and books, you might have read a, a, a book called Miles' Last Answer by Lee Chun mm, sin yes, fantastic book. It's a fabulous book. book. It's, it's long. It's, I don't know, 500 pages? I can't remember That was many.
1: quite true to the, to the text. See, here's the thing,
4: though. I was involved in the movie, if I made a big note myself, and I was thinking, as I'm making the movie, how on earth are they going to put everything in? Yeah. And the director happens to be a great friend of mine, and I asked him, how are you going to put all of this... Well, he didn't. He couldn't. Yeah. The movie would still be going, you know. Um, yeah. Or you'd have to have three parts. Mm. So if it's going to be one movie, you just... I mean, hes uh, the book starts with his mother, how Chinese ladies had to um, wear small shoes yes. to make their feet small because that was more attractive, etc. I mean, n- that's not in the movie. Yeah. Uh, if he put that in, then he'd have to take something else out. Yeah, the of course. Book. So going back to Zorba, the same, sure, I guess. Yeah, exactly.
2: sure. And also with... With the movie, you can't tell what they're thinking, but you can read it in the book. Yep. You can tell what they're thinking at the time, how they're feeling at the time. But in the movie, you've sort of got to try and work it out, but you
4: can't actually... But the great thing about the movie is the performances. Yep. You know, we talked Not about sure. Anthony Quinn, great oh, actor. Scenery yeah. and, and music. The music, the, yeah, I know. Also, you know, it, the book doesn't have the music.
3: If I may say, yeah. because what he tried to do, Kakoyanes, yep. is to structure this as a Greek tragedy. And the music at the end is the catharsis, yes. the cathartic dance that brings everything out, that gives a closure mm-hmm. to everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why, if you notice, there are five episodes, main episodes, like the five acts that we have in ancient Greek tragedy mm-hmm. that can make mm-hmm. evolve. Can you explain that?
2: Go through that. Because, again, it, a lot of our listeners probably wouldn't have heard it. Yeah, just a
1: quick summary of what those five summary. acts
3: would be. Yeah. Well, it's a story of the Zoba, of, of the writer trying to go to uh, Crete, and then Zoba. Uh, is Oba, and then is the the story of uh, Madame Hortense. Is the story of the young boy who commits suicide because yes. he can not have, and the widow. You know, that there are five essentially central stories which evolve and in the end come together with this strange scene with everything collapses. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is funny. funny, which is a parody, which is a farce, which is all of the above at the same time and then you have the dance which brings everything into this cathartic uh, consummation that we see in the film there you know that what Kazantzakis said don't does forget it bring the ancient Greek tragedy does it bring everything together or does it make you numb or see life in a different way it's I think it's very consummation don't forget the ancient Greeks um, uh, tragic poets had three tragedies and one comedy in order to give the comic relief at
4: the end <laughs> Hey, you know, point. when the British character, when Alan Bates' character says, to me the most significant thing is when he says, teach me to dance to mm. Zorba, because that says, teach me life. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to be the stuck-up, etc. cetera,
1: that I was before. I want to be alive. Yes. And that brings us neatly into... Oh, I mean, I wanted to share this quote, because it's a qu- another quote from the movie attributed to Zorba. Boss, you've got everything. Looks, brains... But you need a little madness.
0: Hmm.
1: Now let me ask you, Vrasida. I mean, and, and I want I want you to, to say whether whether I would do well in, in one of your, your course's essays, but I mean everyone has their opinions on what the message and the themes of the text really are and what what they're trying to say. I feel that it's an exploration on the meaning of life and the constant struggle between that Apollonian and Dionysian uh, the Dionysian sides of all of us. Is that a fair take on it, or, or is it much deeper than that even? Well, I think it's the key. I always have a metaphor about the text by Kazantzakis, he's, he's
3: from Crete. It's a labyrinth. Right. You have to go in, but you have to find the thread, Ariadne's thread, to get out of there, yes. well, there you know, otherwise you're lost. You know, the, it's, I think the, that's why it's, uh, Kazantzakis is the most successful modern Greek writer. We have a discussion at the moment in Greece, why people do not Greek, uh, read Greek literature modern Greek yeah. literature. And the answer is because they read Kazantzakis, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and international readers, you know, I mean, sure. you know just, but why? Because as you said, Kazantzakis was able to address issues that were not only Greek but universal. And one of the most important thing of Greek music, of Greek tragedy, of Greek writing is its universality. If it's not universal, yes. it's provincial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because they avoided provincialism and created this incredible, especially, as I said, in the book, but in the film as well, because that's what the music actually did. The music is a problem. I've heard this music used being used in, in Japan, used in China, used everywhere, because it becomes a sort of a kind of a state of mind, mm. a statement of euphoria. And don't forget that after the, our culture is full of, if I may use a, a German term, Weltschmerz you know, melancholic. You know, we have this cosmic, you know, sadness and sorrow that permeates. This is the ultimate antidote, don't you think? Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wow, I couldn't put it yeah, that, that way, though. That's unbelievable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At the moment, you <laughs> mentioned Nick, before the uh, rear. Did you see how the, everybody gets yeah. up and starts yeah. dancing? And they're alive know? again.
1: You're right. It's unbelievable and, what that music does to people. Yeah. yeah, because
3: it's it starts, as you said, slowly. Mm. So crap, builds up, builds up, and suddenly, mm. this is the impact of music, and mm. you know better than uh, than me about this, you know, just the, the impact of music is that it essentially energizes your full brain and makes you, wham, now let's, let's whap, and your body follows. And I've seen that, Ryu, as well in... um. In London, what's the name of the the Carnegie Hall in London? You know, Covent Garden. Covent Garden. Covent sorry, Garden. Covent Garden. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. You, it's yeah, 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 yeah. It's it the Anglo's sense. who yeah, never yeah. get up to dance, you yeah, know, yeah. just <laughs> except they're here
4: to, you know, Kylie Minogue. <laughs> uh, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> well, neighbours just close, so That's topical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing about the music, if I may, because you know I've yes, done it many course, times, it. Um, is that especially when it gets to the fast part. Every phrase is played twice. Every phrase is repeated. Mm. You get a statement. That statement happens again. You get another statement, the statement happens again. Everyone is repeated. And that gives a real sense of satisfaction. When you hear something once and you like it, you want to hear it a second time. Right. Theodiacus knew this. I mean, he was, a, he was a master philosopher. He knew this. he so said, oh, that, that's a good theme. Yeah, I'll go on to Hang on, before I go on to the next theme, I'll repeat that theme. Wow. And that happens all the way through to the end. And that's why it's so satisfying. What a great point. Unbelievable. It's fantastic.
1: What do you reckon, Nick? <laughs> oh Hold your you perspective on this, isn't it?
2: Look, as you know, I'm very structured. Yep. You know, I'm very left side of the brain. You're, you know, you're very artistic. We've talked about Cousin Zarkus. We're starting to talk about the book, the themes of the book. Eventually, I want to talk about the music and the dance and all that sort of stuff. But look, back to the book, what, what are your main themes? We'll get to the music in a sec. Just what's your view on life?
3: And, and who's right? Because they both got two different points of view in the book. I mean, different, but complementary. The one complements the other. I mean, you cannot be happy without having known unhappiness. Great point. You cannot be free without having known unfreedom, the lack of freedom. I think the book is about freedom. And that was the main theme of Kazantzakis' work from the beginning to the end. How people become free. From convention, from inhibitions, from pressure, from culture, from society, from ideology, from religion, from everything. Mm-hmm. And how he does, does mention in chapter two about being
2: passionate—is that a form of freedom? Or? For him,
3: passion that—that that was my point—leads to freedom. You have okay. uh, passions in traditional moral theory have been expressed as you know something that distracts you from what you want but you have to follow your passions in order to become authentic to yourself. I think the book is about authenticity of the individual mm, beautiful. and how this authenticity can lead you to freedom. It's a theme that later on, something which is very interesting to see, that Albert Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre and all the existentialists, that French existentialists have borrowed from Kazantzakis, but very few people actually admit or recognize that this is because of Kazantzakis' books, especially Zoba. And Zoba created a whole style of writing about these kind of things. How do I become free? How do I free myself from inhibitions and the fears and the panics that my society has instilled in me? Mm. And I have internalized them and they are part of myself. Kazak is amazing about this, how he Mm. he describes that. I think the whole book is about freedom, the main thing, the authenticity of freedom. And that happens through this messy process of confronting your own fears. Mm. This is what happens with the Anglo, Alan Bates, the, uh, the boss, you know, it's very interesting that doesn't have a name in the film. Eh? Boss, That's it's right. the boss. Mm. It's the boss. I mean, uh, this As becomes, a side note, is that Nico Kazantzakis, the boss? Or is it yeah, he's the boss. is Kazantzakis, he is the boss in he's the, the, the boss. book. Yeah. But the boss means, as you understand, an impersonal entity. Mm. Doesn't have, uh, you know, but in the end, he becomes himself by taking off his jacket, jacket. and starts dancing. Mm. So it's the passion that takes over the rational part of himself, the idea that I'm controlled by my, if I may use Freudian terms, by the superego of my society, and then suddenly it's me, a person I love, that's why he says, you. let me tell you something sober. You are one of the very few people that I loved in my life. You are the only person that I truly loved in my life. And then, as you see, Kazantzakis' most rare word is the word love, agape. Mm. He uses this, you know, just in the most critical and crucial moments of the book. Actually, twice he uses it in the book. Is
4: that right, only Twice. Twice. Wow.
3: The word agapi, yeah. sagapo, eh? yeah, you know, yeah. just yeah, because agapi that's for lovely. him is an amazing feeling of surrender, of so we, opening up. Yeah, wow. wow. when you use that word. Wow. Yeah, that's why he says at the end. And I think that Kakoyanis kept that one. Let me tell you something, Zobe. Mm-hmm. Remember in the dance? Yes. You're the only man that I ever loved in my yeah. life, which means, I mean, today the word love is a, A pop song by Shakira, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) what was the name of the other one? Um, Beyonce, you know. Just but in 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 this context means total and absolute, you know. If I may say, demolition of the defenses that you have about yourself, in yourself, Mm. in front of the mystery of another individual, and that happens during the dance. And I think the dance helps. Don't you think that the music helps this?
4: Denudation of the individual, who become naked suddenly. Uh, absolutely, that's exactly what it's about. It's about wild, abandoned feeling um, that um, you're not grounded. You want to walk on air. Yeah, mm. mm-hmm. beautiful, unbelievable. Look,
2: I've moved into the 21st century. I actually didn't read the book. I listened to the book. I did the audio oh. process, my <laughs> first audio book actually, thanks to you, Tom. No worries. You recommended that to me. You said that an audiobook
3: yeah, there it, an audio book. yes It is.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh. I put it on uh, Amazon or one of them. And my morning walks, I mean, listening to yep. it, it's fantastic. Yeah, nice. Great. Yeah, I can't sit on a, on a bed and read. I'm, my back gets, plays up and so but
1: Anyway. It's, it's it's one of those things. As a kid, you love being read to, and as an adult now with these audiobooks, you're right. You're getting that experience again. I, I <laughs> it's fantastic.
4: I, sh- I've heard people love it. I haven't tried it yet. I'm sure I'll get hooked
2: it's on brilliant. it if I do. Oh, <laughs> you can do brilliant. two things at once. I walk in the morning and I get exercise, and I ride my bike at lunchtime, and I listen to it. It's yeah. fantastic.
3: This is how, for the first time in my life, I understood Ulysses by James Joyce by listening to the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go, there because you go. it's an oral
4: text. Yeah,
3: right. But in these books, I must have a pen pencil. <laughs> and pencil and a line. Oh, yeah. my God. Yes. What is
2: it? It's funny you say that, because as I was walking, I would stop and get onto my iPhone and type into my notes, which brings me to my next quote. Mm. In Chapter 3, there was something really fascinating, and I really wanted to ask you about this, where uh, the old grandpa, nine-year-old, planting an almond tree. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, My son, I carry on as if I shall never die. And Zorba responded, "I carry on as if I was going to die in the next minute. Who's right in that scenario? Is it the same thing?" That really made me think about that for the next twenty minutes. I had to pause. That's it. probably
3: the point. used to say, I think. How exactly, do you live life? How do you live by being responsible every moment of your life. This is what he's trying to say. But do I live? For, this is my my last. Minute on minute. Earth? Yeah. What do would go you do? Out and party and do whatever what would you and drink do if and... you knew that this is the last minute of your life? What do you mean do before that? Zaki says that you have to act responsibly always as if your life the next moment will be your last or as if the next moment will be your first as well. Mm. So it's do I look forward to a, the next good. morning, or do I just this is my last night on earth? This is your last night on earth. You have to think about seriously about this. I mean, what we, would I do mm-hmm. if I knew that my life... Don't forget that one of the greatest moments I was talking about that yesterday with a friend of mine, moments of Greek tragedy, mm-hmm. is that Prometheus, who is up in the Caucasus, you know, punished by the gods, says, what's the first benefit that he gave to human beings? And he said, the first thing I had to do, not to give them fire as usually the stories, I made them forget the day they're going to die. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how did you do that, he says? By putting in their mind the hollow hope that they will live forever. So Uh Kazanjais continues this incredible uh, discussion that essentially we must act every day, every moment, as if it's our last moment, and it will be no tomorrow. Mm. And as I've been, our first moment because you reinvent yourself as yeah. well. Mm.
1: Is this a unique concept? I can't think of other texts that talk, you know, that uh, that are similar in that in that respect. Have other cultures or other writers, other than philosophers, written about something like this?
3: Well, I think there are some probably in you know, Christianity, in Buddhism, and Stoicism in particular, because Zakis was a great Stoic philosopher. Mm. I mean, Stoicism is the philosophy of the 20th, post-war 20th century and 21st century. And actually, I believe that as we go on, we will discover how important Stoicism was. Especially, I strongly commend this book by the emperor, Marcus Aurelius, mm. called uh, to myself, he's confession. in my audio books too. By the way, it's you have to read it. To it. And, right. and actually, Kazan says fantastic. has this incredible line from the from and Marcus really is wrote it in Greek, as you remember. And it's in a great of text, course. written in Greek, yeah. and he has this incredible line. And he plays the character in Gladiator. In Gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to mention that, but <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, it's it's one of my favourite uh, films. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Go, Russell Crowe. Uh, but but uses from that book the famous line. It says what is giving you happiness in life says lying on the beach at night and look at the stars as if you are revolving with them wow Wow, what a comment what an amazing line as you understand
2: Uh, so we used to do that at camping we sit at the campfire down the south coast no music, no nothing. Just look up at the skies, and now and then we'd see a shooting star.
4: But just That's we could it. see the stars it's, real it's, it's a wonderful thing in life to do—to look up at the stars. In, when it's, especially when you're not near the city, yeah. it's just one of the most joyous experiences I've ever felt. Well, it remind so me of
3: Thodorakis's um, last uh, symphonies as well, which is one of the symphonies of the stars and these kind of things. And it's amazing, as in to see how—I mean, this if I may say, Greek spirits communicate mm-hmm. yeah. with each other. And and I yeah. think it's, if we try to find something unique in the Hellenic tradition, mm-hmm. the Hellenism, is this yeah. precisely this idea eh, that there's no harmony with you. You are tuning yourself to the cosmic harmony.
1: That's very profound. Fantastic. Now look, uh, I want to look at a couple of scenes from the film. Th- there are two scenes that I sort of struggle to reconcile and they surround the deaths of Madame Hortense and the widow the actions behaviors and demeanor of the village surrounding the deaths of those two women are difficult to comprehend uh, for, for me personally and for, and for many the way everyone begins ransacking Hortense's home before she's even taken a final breath and the honor killing style execution of the widow was that written to be taken on face value? Was that the reality of living in a Cretan village at that time? Or is there something deeper going on in these actions? The film is set in the beginning of the 20th century,
3: right? 1917 and these kind of things. And the book as well. Kazantzakis wanted to avoid idealization and romanticization of the past. Hmm. These things were happening, especially, let's go with Madame Hortense, especially people who were not orthodox, baptized Orthodox. Right. They were not allowed to be buried, first of all. They had to be buried outside the cemeteries of the baptized Orthodox people in the area. So it was a very cruel sort of a life and cruel death that these people had to face who lived in Greece. The same happened in other countries as well mm. for Orthodox people in Italy. So mean by cruel, it's the after death. After death, because they didn't have any rights. They sure. didn't have any... You know, death is a very important social ritual mm-hmm. in these small communities. Okay, so they're respected, I guess, in the community, they're part of the community, but when they died, they're nothing. Their rights change. They don't exist. Okay. Actually, if you see Madame Hortense doesn't have any rights when she's alive as well, she, she's under the predatory eyes of everybody, yes. yes. Mm. She's an outsider. An outsider and, if I may say, a legal alien. She doesn't, yeah. she doesn't have an sure. identity. And actually, as a matter of fact, she's a real character, eh? she existed. Oh, right. Really, mm. before the liberation of Crete from the Ottomans in 1899, which Crete for 14 years became an independent state. Okay, wow. until 1914, she became part of became part of Greece. It was annexed by oh, Greece. the, the, the own country for 14 years. 14 years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, if that. you see Kazantzakis dedicates his book The Last Temptation of Christ mm-hmm. to Prince George of Greece, who became the first High Commissioner of Crete as an independent state. Right. And he says that the greatest moment of his life is when George, Prince George, came. He's the brother of Prince Philip's father. You know, all these royals mm-hmm. are interconnected. <laughs> as you see, you know, just incestuous, because yes. of the incestuous bonds. Uh, then, And Kazantzakis dedicates that to book and to Marie Bonaparte. Marie Bonaparte is... Right. I don't know if you know Marie Bonaparte. Bon- Marie Bonaparte was the... One of the Greek princesses of King George, who was the wife of, of Prince George, became the um, uh, high commissioner on Crete. She she she's the most to famous she's Napoleon. Mo- she, no, no, she's Bonaparte. The, her husband was called Bonaparte. She's the most famous psychoanalyst. One of the most important, right. one of the most important psychoanalysts in Europe. The one who saved Freud from Hitler later on. Okay. okay. Wow. You know when Hitler entered Vienna in 1936, 37. He wanted to kill Freud. And she had the guts and the strength and the courage to go in front of Hitler and uh, said, you have to liberate Freud because otherwise I'll turn the whole royal families of Europe against you.
0: So Bonaparte,
3: Marie Bonaparte, took Freud out of Vienna and saved him to London. So these are the stories there. So I think uh, legal aliens back then were very sort of a kind of, they didn't really exist Hmm. in the village. The village was... Essentially, like Madame Hortense, she had a... a how can I say, the, a brothel for the four uh, navies that were there to defend the Crete from the Ottomans, the Russians, the Ang- English, the Italians, and the French. Don't forget that she has a, a parrot which constantly calls the name, calls out the name Canavaro, Canavaro, yes. who is the Admiral Canavaro. You know, Canavaro was the, her lover back then. Mm. But when the, the fleets left, she was left behind. So there's a real life there. Yeah, and that he was, was her end as a woman. She was buried I don't think you can find her a grave today because she was buried in an unmarked grave right. outside the village cemetery. Wow. So it was tragic back then, as yes. you understand. Yes. Because for That's religious like... schism. Don't forget mm. that the schism between East and West, between mm. the Orthodox and the Catholics, ended yes. in nineteen sixty six for the first time. Right. Mm. So until then they didn't have the right to be buried with the normal religious rights. So right. she had that one. And as such, the male centered society of these villages could do whatever they wanted with legal aliens, especially women, and not to go to the next question, widows. Right. Mm. Right. Widows that you say women who were married didn't have children, but they lost their husbands, could consider by this if I may say, androcentric mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. societies sure. as prostitutes, that they could use, be used by youngsters to be initiated to sex. Right. It was a very common practice in Sicily, in Greece, in Is that right? the islands, in Crete and these islands as well. Yeah, yeah, very common practice back then. So I think Kazantzakis didn't want to idealize the past. He wanted to give you, this is what was happening. I mean, it's Zoba is good, the boss is good, the village is nice, the people are friendly, the fool of the village is great, but there's a dark side mm. of the whole thing. Mm. It's the Greek, That's the dark grace, as you understand, that you see there. Yeah. Is that why widows try to marry quickly? quickly a second time? quickly. And as you see, widows, if I may use the term, were damaged goods. Mm.
4: And in in, in Zorba, the book, um, she's uh, ostracised because she doesn't want to remarry. Yes.
3: Mm. And um, you see in the movie, the most subtle, gentle and intimate scene, Mm -hmm. the most intimate scene, is when the boss gives you an umbrella. Yeah, mm. it's an amazing. Scene. I think the most. I mean, for those who look at the film, you know, from this artistic point of view, mm. that's the most beautiful yes. scene. That Very you touching. Think. Yeah. Yet suddenly, I mean, she's the only one who shows kindness mm. and empathy mm. to here. Right? The others, you know, just are predators. There. Yeah. And he simply opens the umbrella for here under the. Wow. And the way that the Irene Pappas looks at him, confused. Who are you to do that to me? and with gratitude at the same
4: time. Mm. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. It's, a, it's wow. a lovely duality. A dual, it's an incredible
2: mm.
3: scene that one.
2: So that and, was the scene when she lost her goat and it went into the yeah, cafe. Yeah yeah, oh, yeah,
4: yeah,
3: yeah, And then he goes she goes out she open mm. he opens the umbrella for her. That's why Zoba says yeah. all these men who are most masculine, more masculine alpha males than him mm. cannot have this woman only you can have it. Mm. Because you showed her empathy. Mm. Wow. Because all the men in the cafe
2: did want her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And one in particular wanted to marry her. Yeah. Wow, and she was
3: beautiful. She was amazing. I mean, that uh, representation of Irene Papas, of that mm. widow, mm. the ultimate. You know, Greek a Greek statue, essentially. Yeah, a Greek <laughs> goddess. And, yeah. the, and
2: the women hated her in the village.
3: The men all wanted her. And the widow is always a story, if you read the other stories by Kazantzakis, like Christ Crucified... It's always the Mary Magdalene of the village. Yeah, Right, right. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, and that's why when in Christ Crucified, if you remember the story of Kazantzakis, I think his his best novel as a novel, mm. this uh, Zopa the Greek, as he
1: calls it, this is a platonic dialogue. That's what Kazantzakis thought about this. Mm. Was the depiction of the widow and her ultimate demise portrayed to some extent as a justification? Is there an understanding that what happened to her was unjust given that the male members of the of the village were egging the young boy who wanted her on well the um,
3: the, or, the answer is given by the village fool murderers, dolofoni, Fognaves. he says mm-hmm. murderers, murderers, murderers you know because as you understand behind all this beautiful facade there was a dark aspect actually, as um, also as depicted by Kazanzakis, the dark aspect of masculinity mm. violence uh, your predatory uh, behavior and then finally as you see the death mm. and uh, kazakis in in the book has an amazing chapter afterwards which is not included in the in the in the film how the same people who killed you go to his grave and put flowers on the grave. Yeah. Hmm,
4: hmm. That's an interesting um,
3: contradiction. hypocritical there, isn't it? Oh, critical, yeah. The Cretans didn't, li- didn't like that at all, actually. I have to tell you that the film is not very popular on Crete. Mm. Is that right? Yeah, okay. not very popular on Crete. It's popular on, Greek, on the Greek mainland, but not on Crete. Crete they consider that.
1: Let's just go for a moment. Let's break the film out of its context. Someone new watching that film today. Obviously, we live in a society where you know, these, you know there's a lot of revisionism happening. Does a scene like that stand up today? Could it survive today?
3: Well, you are the young person, you know. <laughs> just, for me, anything goes. As yeah. you understand as long as it's well and aesthetically presented. Mm. <laughs> What do you think?
4: I think the theme uh, rings true today. The yeah. theme is human emotions are human emotions. We don't feel, I don't think, human emotions differently now mm. than we did in the 17th century. Not that I lived then, but you, yeah. know, you know what I mean. I can only relate to composers, but you know Mozart and Beethoven and, and Stravinsky, I'm sure, felt the same things that we feel. Mm. If this repressed uh, British writer is feeling repressed... That's not unique to 1917, or when, yeah. it, when was it? said yeah, 1917, 1517. Th- that's, that's true. Now, uh, a, a person who wants to liberate themselves and be free and wild abandon is not unique to any sp- specific era.
1: Yeah. The reason I ask the question is because we live in a world now where there was a movement recently in the US where they were trying to ban teaching the Odyssey and right. the Iliad oh, I see what you're on saying. the on yeah, the yeah, grounds yeah. of you know violence yeah. and looking at it through that sort of prism. Yeah, Yeah, I think that
3: these are very superficial readings of the text. Yes. And superficial readings because essentially, if I may say, Mm -hmm. the widow in the film is not simply the widow of the book. It's not simply a widow. As writers, we have our desires within ourselves. Kazantzakis always had to confront his own femininity. Mm. This character is also a projection of his feminine urges, as you understand which he had to kill because he wanted to be a man. So it's an inner conflict in Kazantzakis. All these female characters that he has in his films, you know, in his novels, are about him as a woman mm-hmm. try to confront his own duality, as you said. Wow, okay. You can see that.
1: I didn't expect this to go there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very, very, pretty, very profound, isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
3: If you read his book "Freedom or Death" or "Capitan Mihalis, he has this incredible exp- scene. All right, this is a woman from uh, Kirgisia, Kyrgyzstan. You know, just she's abducted by this incredible alpha male Cretan, You know, just who's going to rape her. But at the moment she appears in front of him, the Cretan man starts being afraid, mm. becomes dominated by her, and Kazansky describes her as a tigress mm. that was going up to him and <laughs> says, "What are you going to do now?" She says, "You know, totally dominated by her." At the end, mm. in the film, Kazansky had an ambivalent relationship with women. I mean, he had an affair with this incredible philosopher, Elie Labridi, who appears in the book. In, in the in the book not in the in, in yeah. the film as him and Stavridakis, his friends send letters to her a woman that we called our vespina our dominator you know as she said vespina you know the, you know just in, and that we loved here and we're up in Egandin very interesting with a place where Nietzsche lived as well you know they have all these subtexts as you see there you know they appear right you know sure. and he he felt really, how can I say, offended or traumatized or whatever you like to call it, because she chose his friend, not him. So he had a lot of things to say about that. Mm. Such a complex character, Kazantzakis. Unbelievable. I mean, there's a film recently that came out, if you remember, by This, Kazantzakis. Don't watch it. It is an operetta on on Kazantzakis. It's It's a... a, ma- a magisterial m- misinterpretation okay. of, of okay. his existence. Mm.
1: So, don't listen
3: don't watch that. film. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, watch the film as, uh, as a fantasy. Yeah. Sure, like, you know, just you know. Yeah. So the original book
2: was written in French, as you said, and it got translated. However, the translation didn't translate the whole of the book, and there's no. lots of bits of the original. The translation to English, you mean? Yeah, transla- yeah. Is it, the original piece wasn't uh, translated to English. None. And I understand now that the full translation is out there. What bits have been added and missing? I understand you're holding a book there. Yeah, it
3: came out in... Just a second, because I, I can't see anything anymore. <laughs> you know, just, you know. <laughs> the glasses have so come trans- on. Exactly? Do
4: you yes. need a
1: top up there, George? Yes, came he does. I, I do need,
4: but I won't, of <laughs> You want half? Oh, God. It there are P.R.P. Pressure. pressure around, are there? <laughs> <laughs> in 2014, quarter, quarter. in 2014.
3: 2014? Okay. Nearly, nearly. nearly All I top up, George, with... Which is a com- the C-B-L. first complete translation of the text. Right. Which And the most important part of this is the that it includes the introduction by Kazantzakis, where Kazantzakis explains what he's trying to do with this one. And especially at the end, which says that, um, sorry, sorry, the
4: afterward here, which talks about... got to say, you look very much like Dmitry Shostakovich with those glasses. (laughs) (laughs) A mixture of Shostakovich (laughs) and John Lennon.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Well, actually, it says, one day I sat down on the flat roof of my home by Aegina, the island, Mm -hmm. seashore. It was midday, lots of sunshine, And across the way, I viewed the charmingly naked loins of Salamis, Mm. the island. Suddenly, while having this at all in my mind, I took a piece of paper, laid down on the roof's fiery flung stones, Mm. and began to write The Saint's Life of Zoba.
4: Wow. Mm. That's beautiful.
3: Isn't it beautiful? beautiful? I wrote quickly, eagerly, impatiently, reviving the past by attempting to remember and preserve Zoba, in his entirety. It seemed that if he disappeared, the fault will be entirely mine. I worked day and night to solidify the features to the core, the features of my spiritual father. I worked, and that's the what I wanted to ask to read. I worked like the witch doctors of savages, savage tribes of Africa. Mm who make cave drawings of an ancestor, they have viewed in a dream, striving to depict him as accurately as possible so that the soul will be able to recognize its
1: body and re-enter it. I mean, that, that just answers uh, the question that you, that you answered
3: yeah, earlier, Isn't it amazing? That I me. Mean, isn't it amazing? You feel goosebumps. I feel like I'm
4: in another world.
3: <laughs> isn't it amazing how he himself saw that recreation, his relation with Zoba, yeah. my spiritual father, and then like the tribes of Africa, mm. they paint what they have seen in their dream, but the dream is so real that it will come out through the painting to be united with the image itself. Mm. Amazing. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's I mean, amazing. this is what is missing from the play, from the movie, as you yeah. understand, right? That's incredible background. Sure.
2: And then that was the addition to, that wasn't translated into English. No, no. Is there, is there they, any more? That, that was... Fa- like, oh, I'm going to have a shot of a tickle of the <laughs> I think you need
3: a couple. Yeah. <laughs> there is more, but, you know, you have to read it by yourself. I yeah. because, you know,
0: no. So by
1: that's the way. 2014 edition. Yeah. 2014. Uh, 2014,
3: okay. the new edition by Peter Bean. Yeah, the other well. one by Chris Whiteley, I think, yeah. mm-hmm. 1956. But this one is the complete edition of the book. Yeah. It has all these incredible details, as you see, uh, sort of a kind of... Um, uh, because it finishes, you know... Very interesting that the day he finished the book, a letter comes about the death of Zoba. Mm. And as you see, he brings together memory and reality all in one. Mm. Unbelievable. (laughs) It's a a, a very complex book, as you understand. But at the same time, it's like, as he said, this is Kazantzakis' statement, a platonic dialogue. Mm. It starts like Plato's Republic. If Mm. you have read Plato's Republic, it starts with a famous line, Yesterday, went down to Piraeus, where I met this, this, and this, and this. is how it's yes. done. Yesterday, I went down to Piraeus to take the boat, from, oh, yeah. and then I met this, this, and this, and this. Wow! It's a, it's an incredible Platonic dialogue, mm. like Plato and uh, a student trying to find what is truth, what is beauty, what is reality, what is self. Sorry, would he have done that consciously? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that was extremely well-read. Yeah. He had translated in his youth six uh, platonic dialogues to modern yeah. Greek. I, I think that's why this book is so successful, as I said. Mm. Uh, in Harold Bloom in the Western Canon, in the book that he wrote in the Western Canon, is the only <laughs> book <laughs> that he includes from modern Greek literature. You know, just this one. Probably one of the best novels written in the last uh, 400 years. And I strongly recommend them, (laughs) (laughs) recommend the book to read it wherever you have the opportunity, because it's such a multi layered book, you know, just suddenly. I mean, you talk about the death of the widow, right? Mm. And he has this incredible chapter. It starts The widow was killed, but now she was looking at them from eternity with a smile. And said to them, You will die, I will oversee you until your death, the end of your life. has this incredible, you know, just dreamlike visionary yeah. element that mm-hmm. comes there throughout the book. Jeez. You know, I'm just my like, God, oh, wow, <laughs> right, you know, uh, go, go, Nico. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, you know. <laughs>
2: digressing a bit here, but it reminds you of a, a tomb I saw in Ipiro, so where my parents or my dad uh, yeah. was born. And, it was, and I stood there for eight years and I read it. It was in Greek, but I'll it in English. It was, Hey you there, stranger, staring at my tomb. I was where you were standing and you will be where I am. Something like, along those lines. But it was in Greek. I took a photo that's of and, that's not, that's, and it. Was, and just reminded of what you just said. It's just fascinating the way the Greeks thought back then of life. And this guy had this on his tomb. Blew me away. I don't know well, if we well, can top that
3: now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, most people have to deal... I mean, in Australia as well, you know, people... Actually, I must say, that was in a town called Plakoti
2: in Ipiro, where a lot of my first cousins are from. So. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah.
3: So cheers to the people of Plakoti. Mm. Epirus is the place, you know, as you said, death had found its most artistic expression through your myrológia. You know, just the myrológia is amazing from, from uh, Epirus, right? And that river... Archerondas Ar- Ar- riverondas, yeah, where you have to pay and the three men. And Vodoni. The you cheese. Might not say Vodoni, they are, they the cheese. <laughs> not the the place not the cheese <laughs> <laughs> The place where the cheese is from. <laughs> Which is the best, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> <cheese. laughs> feta. <cheese>. <laughs> yes <laughs> it is. But the best cheese is Karalis feta, you know. Really? <laughs> <laughs> nothing oh, to know. do with me. <laughs> <laughs> I did the debate. But Vodoni is the most ancient place of Sacred presence in Greece. Mm. It's the first prayer that we have in Homer. Mm. O Zeph, Anax, Dodone Pelasgique. Mm. O King Zeus mm. from Doni. Wow. Pre Hellenic. Wow. It's, uh, it's the most important. Yeah. That we have in the Iliad, Because mm, wow.
2: you know, I remember that head on the, 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 the river, there's a they've got a beautiful cafe there amongst this river, and the water is freezing. It's like mountain ice. The water. entrance to the underworld. That's right. And the, I think Mick Jagger wrote, uh, I can't, "Was it Mick Jagger? You have to pay the ferryman."
3: Who pays the ferryman? That's
2: right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's come from that. And my father's auntie that passed away when they buried her, they actually put coins on her eyes yeah michael oldfield and that's not
3: to make jagger michael oldfield michael oldfield was tubular was? Bells, yeah or was the it david bowie no no michael Oldfield. oldfield yeah. okay. tubular bells.
2: paying the ferryman so back then when people died you had to pay the ferryman to take you to the afterlife which is along the like head on river
3: mm. To and this what, day, they do it in Greece.
2: And they still do, yeah. yeah. And, and my, my ancestors were buried with coins. They had to put a coin when on When my
3: it. mother died a few years ago, her he, sister, because only women can do that in Greece, mm. not men, opened her mouth and put a, a, one drachma on, on her tongue mm. to pay the ferryman. Gee, to take it to the
4: afterlife. There's a lovely um, instrumental piece by Markopoulos called Who Pays the Ferryman. Who Pays the Ferryman. Yeah. 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 It's well, Beautiful. Unbelievable.
2: Wow. Yeah. We have dried Greece a bit. However i got one last question. Oh, I got, I'm sure we've got a lot of questions, Tom, but the more <laughs> we drink, the more questions we have. With Zorbas, the Zorbas of the, in the book and the Zorbas that Nikos met, how is he to the modern-day Greek? How do you compare him to the modern-day Greek? In the book, it showed him as very masculine but very empathetic. As we talked about the deaths, mm. he was there trying to save the widow from getting... I think she got stabbed in the square... Well, she uh, was stoned in the book, I think.
0: She was stoned,
2: the... and she got stabbed, I think, towards
3: mm. the end. Not so, stabbed.
0: Oh, she A had, throat. Had her, her throat he, the throat, the throat slit.
4: The boy, the boy's father, who was, the boy who suicided, he, slit her, her throat. throat
2: yeah. yeah. So, how is that character compared to the modern Greek today in 2022?
3: Well, you are visiting Greece,
1: you know. I'm not. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what do you think, George of you, know, you know. Well, I,
1: mean. I think the question really is, and I had a question along similar lines. Is, do you think Zorba still is the standard of how Greeks or Greece is seen around the world, and why is that good or a problem? I mean, I remember probably about ten or twelve years ago, Peter Economides, the the brand marketing specialist, gave a talk called "Rebranding Greece" Rebranding and Rebranding spoke Rebranding. about how. At the time, Zorba was a problem, you know, in the context of the, of the economic crisis and, you know, because he was the Onisous, basically. Does that hold up today? Is Zorba a problem or is he a necessary element of our identity? It's part of our identity,
3: I think. Don't forget that the Greeks have a very pessimistic element as well, melancholic element in their character. We must not forget that the Greeks are not the simply exuberant people dancing in the streets, but they have a completely, sort of a kind, a, a, a complete other side of themselves, which is melancholy. Don't forget that melancholy is a Greek word, right, mm-hmm. you know? And they're very, very something extremely, extremely sad. The Greeks uh, have a word for this, all right? I think it's called harmolipi, joy and sorrow at the mm-hmm. same time. All Greek music is about harmolipi, right? right, both sorrow and joy at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that Azoba is the element of that element, the chara of the, hara, of the harmo, harmosinos, as we say in Greek. Mm-hmm. Who actually points to Lippi as well to yeah. sadness and sorrow as well? Because, in reality, he's a very sorrowful character. In reality, right? It's a very yes. romantic character if you think. Right. Uh, so somebody who hey? is everything is empathetic. Yeah, he's romantic. He's a lover. He's... He's mad. Crude. he's Crude. crude. He goes to the, to, to the brothel and spends the money with this uh, prostitute, the young prostitute. Uh, sure, the money uh, the that, that, yeah.
4: that Alan Bates' his character gave him.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's rough. crude. He's all of the above. Mm. Well, Kazantzakis didn't try to create a pure... Type as you understand. Mm. Don't forget, you, obviously, as I see coming, uh, being born in an Anglo Saxon world, you try to find Calvinist Puritanism <laughs> everywhere. You know, just you know, human beings exist, either good or bad, and they're good and bad, and the one fights against the other. In reality, goodness and badness exist within us, all right? Mm-hmm. You know, the human soul is a human psyche, if I use a Greek word. And that mm. acceptance, the acceptance of that is a very ancient Greek. Trade isn't it? I mean, from Homer. Yeah, from Homer. I mean, the great, the greatest psychologist of Greek, of the Greek psychology, the first writer, Homer. Mm. Homer gave you Achilles. Achilles is the main character of the Greeks to this day. Mm. Achilles is arrogant, defiant, mm-hmm. and the, and a souk at the same time. <laughs> you know, just you know, mm. he's fighting, and then at the moment he sees that there's a danger, he disappears. Mm. He, he feels insulted, uh, he feels ashamed, ashamed mm. and this kind of things. But at the same time, he's brave and courageous, mm. and he will get tenacious, and this kind of thing. But it's, it's both of that. I mean, we have to accept that this idea that comes from, if I may say, Western Europe, mm. that we are purely this or purely that and you are purely good. John Wayne is always good, right? And the enemies are always bad, as you think. You know, it just doesn't apply to these kind of characters. They are both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And at the same time they're the inner demons and angels that are fighting with them within them. It's like yin and yang. That's the duality duality that you talk about. The the Apollonian Dionysian. But also the ancient Greeks, don't forget that they have this idea, right? That you have to achieve apathia, passionless, but through your passions. Because Zacchaeus believes that you must become apathia, you know, apathy. Apathetic. But through your passions, you wow. have to essentially exhaust
1: your passions in wow. order to achieve that thing. That's unbelievable. We're running We're out of Tzikwodiya. That's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that in itself is unbelievable, yeah. that mm. last you're statement just, there. You're yeah. Summing
2: it up. So I guess, uh, before we move on to music, from reading the book, listening to the book, and listening to what uh, Nikos Kazodaki said about zorbas and so, what is the meaning of life for a man? For a human, you mean? I guess freedom. for a human, yeah. yeah.
3: For a human, I guess. So women and men might have different views of this. I think, as Zaki would have said, is freedom. So, freedom. Freedom, but then, what is freedom? Exactly. Freedom is, according to Kazantzakis, and I totally espouse, actually, I, th- I always aspire to write like this in Greek. You know, I just think that what the ancient Greeks actually believed that is. Harmony. Balancing of this and that. You cannot be purely good. You cannot be purely bad. You have to balance the one against yes. the other. The Greeks have an amazing word of that. Of this Isoropia. Yes. Isoropia. Equal tendencies. Isoropos. You must have balance, balance with the good. With the good. I mean, what is bad is another story. What is bad in Greek is excess. Mm. It's me the, metro. Yeah, it's not evil. The evil element that the West usually recognizes bad for the Greeks. The element of go of bad of kakon of the kakon mm-hmm. is excessive. Something that's excessive. Have yeah, too much of something. Of too much of something. Good. Don't forget that the uh, even the, the Christian word <laughs> hamartia for yeah. sin. We better stop the tick the, the The Greek word for hamartia, which usually translate, the Christian concept of hamartia, which translated into English as sin, Mm -hmm. means failure. Mm. Right. It doesn't mean seed. Sin is a a Latin term which means um, um, crime. Mm. That when you fail to do something, you're a criminal. For the Greeks, a good person can also be hamartolos, a sinner, because of the excessiveness of something that you will do.
2: Wow, sorry, So
4: relating that to, to music harmony, um, it basically it's chords. You're a guitarist, mm. Tom. You play you play chords on the guitar. I mean, so if something, for example, is in G major, G major is the tonic chord, and that's a. Um, a chord of repose because it's a tonic chord chord one we call it there's seven but in order for chord one it's going on with your harmony analogy in order for chord one to feel like home there has to be some tension for it to be for it to release to home so the dominant chord has a chromatic Tenseness or tension to it, in order for that to be released. To so, what you're saying about harmony being good and bad, or this and that, the duality happens in music as well. And good composers, yeah. especially like the I guess know this and they use it superbly. Mozart, for, yeah. Mahler, they all used it. Especially yeah. Mahler, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think, yeah, very much. All interconnected. What we're trying to say is,
2: so you need drama, you need controversy in your life. To have balance, you need the intensity. You need First intensive. of all, you have to
3: be passionate, as you said before. You know, passionate drama. Yeah. You need controversy. But you then need... you'll be able—that's what Kazanzaki says—you'll be able to control yourself with these kind of things. Otherwise, you become—you enter the, the other famous Greek word, chaos into chaos. Yes, the chaotic, imbalanced nice. uh, expression. You know of something. You see, you mentioned that before about the Genesis. The Genesis with in, it starts in ding, 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 ding. It's the chaos Weird. of the whole thing. Yeah. Suddenly, ding. Yep,
4: it it comes together. Order.
3: Yes, exactly. And suddenly,
4: comes order. And isn't that what Zorba explores? What is life? I mean, you ask the question. I think the the author wrote, asked the question first and that is what is life how do we make sense of it do we do we follow our brain do we follow our heart do we do we do we explore wild abandon or do we keep all our accounts in order or can we do both can we that's the question mm-hmm. that's the interesting thing about zorba and because that,
3: if i may say since you said that john mm-hmm. what it means because that is that you this is what you have to do but you have to do it with another person.
4: Right. Okay.
3: Balance is mm. not personal, is relational.
4: Ah, uh, communal. Okay. Right.
3: Interesting. That's why he, he doesn't call this book My Life with Zoba. Mm. <laughs> so it's the life of Zoba. Mm. Somebody mm. outside him. Mm. So balance, is sōropia is relational. You can have it only through another person and with another person. And I think that's a very important aspect of the book, I as you understand. It. That essentially it says that it's a critique, philosophically speaking, now, huh, of Western individualism. Mm. Something that has not been stressed appropriately. I think they think that's a glorification of individualism, but in reality, the book is the completely the opposite. Yeah, mm. Right? Mm. You have to be an. In, you can be an individual only through a relationship with another individual, whom he here calls. My spiritual father as you understand, or Pnevmaticosmu as they say, you know. Actually he doesn't use Pneumatikos in the original, he uses Gerondas, my elder. Right. Mm. Which yeah. is a tradition goes back to Plato and then to Christianity, or gerondasm If you go to monasteries, the older monks are not called they're uh, called the Herodes. Yes. Mm. So that's that's exactly <laughs> it. I mean for him individuality is relational. It's not because of me. It's not, that, for example, great writers like Herman Hesse, like uh, Thomas Mann, like in the, uh, James Joyce. like Believe that the individual is something in itself and for itself.
1: Wow. I get, Nick, you, Nick, you look like you've been hit, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't expect like, this. To... Uh, He's not no, the only one. <laughs> I love, I love <laughs> philosophy,
2: as you know, Tom. I love talking about this stuff. But really, that's just... How do you sum that up? I guess well,
1: you I mean, that this is what we were, music. What we were talking about. Music will about. solve. The, well, the, the, we're, the we're going to get to music. It is, it is a very good way to go into the music because mm. so much of the emotion that comes out of the film, as you, as we spoke about earlier, comes from the music. Mm. From what you know about Mickey Sodorakis' involvement in the film, do you know anything about the brief that he was given by Michael Kakuyanis oh. when it comes to, to developing it or was he given virtually a free hand to, to write anything?
4: He was given a free hand wow and uh he just see mikis adarakis was uh, was an amazing was was very different in that unlike uh, you know his good friends and colleagues that i know of and please correct me if i'm sorry, wrong sorry we have got to cut you off there you actually met him
2: so yeah you're talking from first-hand experience by meeting Yes,
4: yes, I, I did. I did get a chance to meet him, which was wonderful. I, it's, um, you know, the best three hours of my life. A meeting that was supposed to be twenty minutes um, became thirty minutes, and I, I uh, sorry, three hours. And I can, <laughs> I can talk more about that at length. I could bore you silly about how lovely it was to meet him. But, um, but what I do know about Theodorakis, Mikis Theodorakis, was that he was passionately Greek and also a world citizen. I mean he was ousted from his own country as we know he went to, He studied in Paris uh, and he, he went to Chile and he met Pablo Neruda the, the Nobel Prize winner and Theodorakis knew the world he looked at everything from the, a world point of view and yet related it very very strongly identifiably to Greece and, and to Greekness. These emotions and these themes that we're exploring in Zorba or that the author explored in Zorba are universal Mm -hmm. they're not just Greek you know whether you're going to keep your accounts in order or whether you're going to live with wild abandon or or anything else we've talked about today are not uniquely Greek sure other countries human thing people from Mexico might feel that people from South Africa might feel Mm -hmm. that
2: because um, we talked about balance as well, and Frasitas brought it up. It's The Chinese have this yin and yang. It's the same thing. Exactly. A lot of so, cultures have that.
4: So when he sits down to write music to this film, yes, Greek, yes, but also world point of view. And what is it that I'm going to... Uh, do for this music how do I make it um, so relatable to the movie the music Mm. that is that it's can be understood by everybody now here in Australia um, non-Greek Australians don't grow up with bouzouki yep and yet if when they hear a piece of music like Zorba the the main theme Zorba's dance Mm. love it people love it Cat Stevens wrote a song called "Ruby, My Love," which is in the yes. in the time signature of seven eight. So it's a calamatiano. Wow! You know this British composer. What does seven eights mean? Can you seven eight mean? Uh, normally music is mostly in four four. So there four, are four, four beats in the bar, and if you can divide those four beats, you get eight eight. You take one of those half beats away you get 7-8 so instead of you get and that's and Ruby My Love is in 7-8 very very few if any pop songs from Britain, America, France wherever you like are in 7-8
1: and It sounds like a Greek song, like it's you know, it, I mean, he he, even yeah. sings Greek. He sings he does, yeah.
4: Lika, he says, you know, sweet, yeah. He's is Greek, yeah. isn't
0: he? Yeah,
1: yeah. it well, was Cypriot, but Cypriot, yeah, Greek. yeah. Greek. But he does speak, yeah, he does sing in Greek on that song for Fantastic. a couple of verses.
4: And he had major hits with songs like Father and Son. And mm. he, um, you know, we we know Cassidy, but he also had a hit with Ruby My Love, and Ruby My Love uses Buzuki mm. now, Buzuki is identifiably Greek um, and of course Theodorakis uses bouzouki Mm. and you know the the main first note that you hear other than the guitar introduction for two bars is bouzouki that's bouzouki that's just screams Greekness he used bouzouki especially in the main themes of his dance and at the same time especially for beautiful songs like the fall catastrophe or the the music that underscored the fall catastrophe strings and orchestral and so it's world it's both mm. this duality that we've been talking about all no. afternoon this this duality between greekness and and greek uh, and and world and non-greekness the music is spectacularly brilliant because of that. Mm. Every emotion that we all feel about what all these characters are going through is perfectly underscored by mm. so you you If you changed a note... I mean, we, we know about Mozart and Mozart was sometimes criticised by his own bosses and colleagues. I would change the music. He knew exactly what he was doing. He said, I'm not changing one single note. Mm. With Mikis Theodorakis, not that he ever said this. If you change a single bar of this main theme that we know, ta-ta-ta-ta-la-ta, ta-ta-ta-ta-la-ta, it would it would
1: wreck it. Actually, that's a great point because when you hear people playing it live, and they shorten it. Mm. Well, they truncated it in some it's, it's way. Not a, it's it's not the same. It's not as good. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Right. And there are many versions. I mean, it was a major hit in 1964 when mm-hmm. it came out. Mm-hmm. People covered it from all over the world. It was never right. It was never as good. Mm-hmm. No cover of Zorba's dance, the, main, yeah. the, the Zorba's theme, is as good as what's
1: in the movie. Yeah. And many people have done it before. I've seen versions by, like, Jose Feliciano, for example. It's transcended all these cultures and all these musicians. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Nobody's been able to get it, you know, quite like that original version. Yeah, that, that original version is the
4: best. When we do it um, for our concerts, we, we keep it the same structure. We, we do add orchestral instruments, and that's the f- wonderful thing about it. You know, a bassoon, for example, was not invented in Greece. Mm. Um, a French horn, obviously, was not invented in Greece. However, we add these French horns and bassoons and violins and double basses and trombones, and it's a magic combination but we don't change the form mm. but it's interesting that this duality that we've been talking about Greek instruments of bouzouki and non-Greek instruments of bassoon french horn trombone cello mix beautifully together yeah. this is brilliant. very true and
3: that's why you know the problem with andrea as he mentioned that Takes from three minutes and makes it to seven minutes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it becomes really, it's like he took the Carmina Burana, the first movement of Carmina Burana, from two two minutes and 15 seconds up to eight minutes. So it loses something, you know, you add something which does not exist
1: in the movie, in the music itself. You mentioned just before the Buzuki. It's important to remember that for many people in the Western world, that moment of hearing that instrument for the first time—that was very likely the first time they'd ever heard that instrument before—and it's come to yes. Yes. it's come to define for many what Greek music is. Is that justified? Do you think is it a good representation?
4: I think it's justified. I spent in two thousand four. I spent about three months in Greece, and I heard bouzouki. I heard bouzouki day in day out, and I loved it. Mm. Um, And I came back to Australia, and I love living here, I love Australia, I love rock music, I love classical music, you know, symphonic orchestral music. But it was really, really jarring to me, and um, and I I remember it so palpably. It was really jarring to me, not that, I mean, I always loved and I still do, and during, you know, when I was living in Greece, I always loved Beatles and Mozart Mm -hmm. and all that outside of Greece. But I got so used to hearing the beautiful bouzouki sound Mm -hmm. that when I came to Australia, oh, my God, did I miss it? And I'm going, what's this shit-distorted guitar sound? Why are they using that? (laughs) I got over it eventually. But um, the sound of the bouzouki, there's something it's it's clean it's um it evokes emotion Mm. there's something about it that i i I can't really put my finger on it and when you're used to it used to it used to it and then you don't have it all of a sudden it's like what you notice it oh my god do you notice it Mm.
1: it's funny because i was watching a documentary not long ago about the buzuki, where they interviewed a number of uh, a number of players and that whole thing where sound is visualized in colors. In and th- yeah. Yes. yes. So yes. basically what he said is, you know, you know the buzuki is important because if you, were, if you were going to characterize the color, the color would be gold.
4: Right. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And that
1: to me has come to characterize personally how I felt about that instrument after yep. hearing that. Yeah. I can't not see that anymore. Yeah.
4: It's certainly shiny, mm. gold or silver, I don't know, but it's certainly shiny. Mm. And relating this to Zorba, Zorba was a lover of life. Um, and when you're in love with life, things shine. You know, mm. we love it. We love a, an ocean view because it's not only because of the color blue, but it's how it shines. Yeah. And the buzuki shines.
3: Yes. Also, can I add something to mm, what you of said course. about Muzuki? Nineteen. 19- 64 buzuki was still not accepted in Greece it was banned that's, that's a good point. you couldn't hear that from the radio right mm-hmm. you couldn't hear that from the official sort of the kind of channels of the of the state Hansdakikis first and then Theodorakis made it artistic mm-hmm. created art through the buzuki yes. because buzuki until then was uh, associated with the underworld of drugs hashes yes. and brothels that we had uh, in my city of Piraeus <laughs> you know and I grew up next to a, a famous rebetti called Yenitsaris, mm-hmm. and Yenitsaris, who actually told me what we're doing for, uh, what we're going through you know it's because he was a an addict, <laughs> he was playing only to get money for, for drugs, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. With Theodorakis and Hansenakis, that came out of that.
0: It's a very good point. Yeah,
3: right. And then the music of Zorba made bouzouki mainstream in Greece as yes. well. Yes, yes. That's wow. That's an
4: extremely important point.
3: Mainstream, mainstream and actually made it an artistic Sort of a that today yeah. we cannot understand Greek music without that. Yeah. Okay. until then, it was something in between. Now, it's for the you know the hoi polloi, mm. for the proletarians from this kind of, thing. and suddenly, Theodorakis makes high art with that. And uh, to, uh, to this, as a historian of Greek cinema, I must
4: that happens through the cinema first. Yes, and in a piece like Actionisti, which we talked about, the esotericness of. Um, of uh, the Genesis, which is first movement, which is purely orchestral, no buzuki, no buzuki. But then we kick into Anatol and Tisakir Sinisilio and Tis um, which is which has popular buzuki um, music, uh, and so the, the duality of the buzuki with the um, symphonic orchestral instruments. That word duality again. And the
3: Sarapisemata, that dialogue between the buzuki and the French horn is amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. We could do a whole podcast yeah. on just that. Yeah. <laughs> well, how did maybe he just, we should. <laughs> wow. the, how did he do that? You know, it becomes mm-hmm. really sort of a kind of... But he made it acceptable as a a, a classical instrument yes. as well, all right, in Greek because in until then, it was, the Buzuki had three th- three chords, as yes. you understand, and then the chiotis added the fourth one right. and became much more sort of a rich, the sound and, and this. But Theodorakis took that thing and made it, as he said, I converged, I uh, fused mm. Vamvakaris, mm. Tsitsanis with classical music. Mm. Yes. And suddenly you have this incredible uh, sort of a kind of sound, which is the sound of modern Greece. I yes. And because, I mean, the final question is, do we belong to the East or the West? What mm. is this character? Is this uh, That's an good question. question.
4: You know, I've been thinking about That's that, because last time I spoke with you two lovely gentlemen, I referred to... You asked me about Greekness and Australianness. I referred to the Australianness as the Western part, and I used Greek as the non-Western part. Mm. And I was thinking about that afterwards. I am thinking, hang on. In answer to your question, or, you know, talking to your question, was I right in saying Greek is not part of the West? Is Greek part of the West, mm. or is it not part of the
3: West? As the
1: cradle of Western civilization, There you It's go. always an interesting still West?
3: Yes. Well, I think that we are Mediterranean mm. at the crossroads Balkan, Middle Eastern cultures, African cultures, Italian and European. Mm. Because we're not Germans. No. And there is no reason to be Germans, as you understand. We're not Scandinavians no. and there is no reason to be Scandinavians, no. No. right? It's a difference between as you see a film by Angelopoulos and a film by Bergman. Mm. Mm-hmm. Bergman always lived this, this existential guilt. Do I have the right to exist? Mm. Calvinism of the North. No Greek was ever
0: asking that yeah. one. <laughs> I, <would> ask, <laughs> do I have the right That's to exist. <laughs>
3: <True. laughs> a Greek will ask, do, does life have the right to exist without me? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good point. You know, very but interesting. I, as you think, this question is very important, I think. Where do we belong? Because the Greeks have a, a, a dichotomy in their. Um, identity question, which we experience here in Australia as well, mm. exacerbated or even made sometimes more uh, intense by the Australian culture as well. Mm-hmm. You're Greek, Western, and ethnic at the yeah. same time. Mm. I mean, how, when wow. are we going after so many generations you're born here, you yeah. gentlemen, right? After so many lives in this in place, years in this, are you still ethnics? Wow. Yeah. I mean, so I, think I think just find it, yeah. it so angry when I say in Australia, you know, sure. I, says, I said, guys, these people are born here, are here in this country since 1900s. Mm-hmm. They cannot be ethnics after 120 yeah. years here, you yeah. know, just. Yeah. But I it's can, a
2: great point you raise. We're at the crossroads of North Africa, Asia,
3: Europe. And then, Balkans, don't forget the Balkans. And the Balkans, which is unique in
2: itself. So I guess it's, we're, we're our identity, I guess. Yeah.
1: And those sensibilities come through, I feel, in, in Zorba, the combination of all those things, as well as in the music. Yes. Yeah, yeah, music, All of, of, of these, yeah, yeah. you know, all of these elements together. True. You know, to sort of sum it all up, all of these elements together, you know, and we spoke earlier about from the cinematography, from the the combination of the the actors, the story itself, all but the sensibilities. If you and go to Kofu, are you from Kofu? from Kofu? Yes.
3: What's your music
1: there? Oh, well, viola and uh,
0: Italian, Italian. Yeah,
3: it's yeah. tarantellas. You know because I you play, play cricket on there. On yeah, big yes. cricket as well. Yeah, yeah, cricket. <laughs> but the music, the Italian music, in you know, it's predominantly Italianate. Mm. You know, just this kind of. What thing. did you say, tarantella? Tarantella. It's in yeah. lot of... Uh, well, well,
1: is the... the yes, and yeah.
3: Tarantella. Tarantella is a good, you know, mm-hmm. the, the dances that you have there. You know, in the Peloponnese, we have kalamatiano. In the islands, completely different uh, things, you know, just then. In the, the roads, Ipiro. Crete. Cámico and in nice. uh, 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 Crete, they have a completely different uh, sensibility. Kazantzakis yeah. used to call this the multi-eyed identity of Greece, that we have many mm-hmm. polyomathy, we have too many eyes, he says, yes. and I choose <laughs> what you call the kritiki matia, the Cretan glance, as you call it, mm-hmm. and he, he saw through the Cretan glance, you are yeah. the, you have the Corfu, are you here Corfu? Yes. Oh my God, you know, just, you know, <laughs> 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 Corfu. <laughs> um, you it. <laughs>
4: Yeah, We've got from from I've Kithen? got the madness too. No, no, my parents were from Alexandria. Alex- oh,
3: that even, complicates even more. <laughs> <laughs> what did they say? Twice Greek. Twice, Twice. <laughs> Greek. Yeah, yeah. Because, as you remember, my first book was on on Manoli Lascaris, mm-hmm. who was from Alexandria. Yes. Yeah. And he said, Cavafy never went to Greece. Cavafy, the great poet, is the, a quintessentially Greek, where having lived in, in Greece for six months essentially in mm-hmm. his whole yeah. life. I thought they say that the diaspora
2: of Greeks are more Greek than the Greeks themselves.
3: Very true. And more, I think, they know what is more, if I may use a term which is really controversial, is they essential to the identities of people, All right? Which is what? I mean, you will tell us, I think think that that's why I was asking George Miller, what is the Greek element in you?
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Your family is totally Greek. I've met his family, you know, just totally Greek. There's nothing...
1: In Mad Max. It's very interesting. You know, the catch cry is write what you know. Mm-hmm. If he's come from that sort of background and there's no element of that in his writing, it's very interesting. Well, th- th- why I mention this? Because I think that Zorba
3: gave cultural confidence to the Greeks mm. to declare their identity as well. Before that, as Greeks, because of the Turkish occupation, we had to internalize a sense of historical inferiority in front of the Western people. All right. The so-called famous expression... Psorokostena. I don't know if you have heard the word psorokostena. I, I haven't, no. Kostena, the wife of Costa with psoriasis. Psorokostena, it was <laughs> the idea that we had in the 50s, <laughs> actually when most of these um, migrants came to Australia. Erkome the Psorokostena, which was the low class, or the low class, as you understand, the whole thing. And Zoba the Greek, for the first time declared a cultural confidence, a cultural Optimism, as I said, and and solid core to the culture itself, you know that Theodorakis actually I think that and with his work, with his whole work, managed to do that. As he said, and I wrote an article about this, I loved his statement in 1988. I'm not interested in the list in
1: what Europe is doing musically at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really. <laughs> so, to sum that up, really, <laughs> life was imitating art on the back of. Uh, on the back, yeah, yeah. Back but,
3: but how can I say that? A vicious circle. Yes. Life imitates art, and art imitates life <laughs> after a while, right? <laughs> you know, the whole thing. Yeah. You are born Zorba, the elements of Zoba, you. By watching Zoba, you become yeah. what you see. Zoba. Great question. Wow.
4: Wow. That's nature versus nature. Yeah, yeah exactly. But is, this is
3: inevitable, as you yeah. understand, right? You will be. I mean, I have read. Uh, I remember I was 19 years old when I read Zoba in Greek. I just was. In, the Greeks didn't like Greek, uh, Zoba, or to, don't like Katsatsatsakis, first of yeah. all. Because Katsatsatsakis is this eternal rebellion, mm-hmm. the rebellious spirit. You know, I accept nothing, I believe nothing, I hope nothing, I'm free, as you see on his grave, all right? You know, in in Greek official culture is more, I don't know if you've heard the Papadiamandis, Orthodox, a bit, you know, pessimistic, highly, uh, how can I say that, you know, just defeatist at a certain Mm. stage, you know, God has created this history for me and I have to participate, do whatever I can, but I know that I will be crushed by God mm. at the end. Well, Kazantzakis gives you this incredible thing, you know, just I am who I am. Yeah. I will do what I can do and even if I fail, I will fail because I try to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So both the book and the movie gave this cultural confidence, I believe, to the Greeks Mm. in the diaspora. That's why there's no place in the world without Zoba restaurant.
1: Very true. Actually, a
3: few years ago, I was in Phuket, and there was a Zoba restaurant there. And then I traveled in um, in, uh, Vietnam. The most popular place is called Zorba. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> wow. Well, look, Ed,
1: gentlemen, I think we could go on for the next six hours talking. And about And we will. This, and okay. So next question, yeah, no, just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish. wish. We're honoured to have both of you, gentlemen, here. You know, Vrasiva, obviously, for your insights into, you know, into this story, and no doubt we'll have you back to talk about more things. And George, obviously, be obviously be no one knows, <laughs> no one knows, Mickey Soderak is like George Ellis. Let's just put it. He was the man. Uh,
4: he was the man. Oh, was in the general, man. And yeah. you met him as well, personally. I, I had the great privilege of meeting him. Um, I, um, his mind has told me I was to meet him for only 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, I tried to politely excuse myself, and he said, Where are you going? Do you have plans? I said, No. I said, I just didn't want to overstay my welcome. He said, Well, if you've got no plans, sit down. What are you doing? <laughs> and <it's> three hours <laughs> later, we're still talking. That <laughs> creep in <laughs> hospitality. You, you don't have he was an amazing man. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Sorry? Do you have a photo with him? I do. Wow, oh, can you we well. send it to us? Yes I will. We're gonna we'll share that. I <laughs> will. <laughs> I met him years ago when he was composing Antigone, oh, his wow. opera.
4: The opera, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I find, it's um, I think
3: it's amazing. It's, it's an a incredible, great. incredible thing. Yeah. And his first symf- his second symphony, based on the Earini symphonia by Rizus. Yes. You know, this kind of thing. Because he met you know, with uh, he wanted to make something richer, but not the Romiosini and the political songs, but something much more, uh, sort of like a intimate, something more, more. Uh, sort of, as he said, a beautiful word. I don't know what's the word in English for that. Trifero. Trifero. Trifero, which means tender, affectionate. Right. Triferos, like that. you know, just, you, know <laughs> you know, just and he made make this incredible word, you know, just <laughs> Which is that. amazing, you know, just these kind of things. Right. And I helped him with some things in the text when he was doing that. And then he was you know, he was Thodorakis was always Thodorakis as you understand larger
1: than life,
3: larger than three lives, eh? you know. And he and he was really large. He yeah. was tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow.
1: I think that's a good point to to sort of wrap this up. Thank you so much for all of those stories. Unbelievable. But I see that. Thank you very much. George, thank you very much. Nick, final thought mate, what do you reckon? Oh, look, I'm I'm mesmerized.
2: As you know, look, I, don't I wanna, told you it would happen. I don't want to <laughs> label our podcast, but this is Probably one of my favorites now. Is it really? As it, talking history, talking philosophy, talking, having alcohol. I think.
4: <laughs> I've got to say, as well as talking to you any day of the week, which I'd love to do, I can listen to this amazing Absolutely. professor. Absolutely day in day out forever He's the, the, what What he doesn't know is not worth knowing yeah. and so Agreed. thank you for inviting me in in his presence in your presence I'm really uh, yeah. privileged to be here and I'm glad to be here so thank you you're so welcome mate you're part of the family and like Absolutely. To us I'm here next part, week. <laughs> part of the family and we,
2: we are going to invite you back
3: again thank you, you so much for this then it's great because I think I mean as you understand we all live in a platonic dialogue Sure. (laughs) And we contribute. What blew me away as well, again, we we can talk
2: about this, you had a car accident. Yeah, You weren't able to get here (laughs) today. I picked you up. And the drive from your place to my place, oh, my God, you blew my mind. (laughs) I thought, you're like my best friend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love you. You are fucking a champion. And this
2: is what I love. And me and Tom have these conversations all the time. We walk up and down Botany Bay, Brighton Sands. To get philosophy and history and
3: yeah, loved it without having met before. We started talking about the most profound thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the blah 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 yeah. blah. I think we knew each other from yeah. you know from long
4: before. But he has that we quality kind of about, about him, you. doesn't he? When, when, as soon as you meet him, you feel like you, you, you feel like you've known. As soon as you meet Lassie, though, you feel like you've met him, you know, before. Yeah, somehow.
0: Yeah, yeah. You
1: you're did, a special man, mate. So you <laughs> are all <laughs> special. <laughs> exactly. right. And You Thank summed
4: you. it up
2: well, George. It's you like something. Like, my lost long brother. You're a you, you lover of Greek history, Byzantine Greek history, and yeah, yeah. modern
3: history of Greece. And so, I have given a lect- a, an interview recently on uh, ABC Late Night Show, whatever they call it, on Bubulina. On wow. Bubulina. Yeah. Ah. And she
2: was. and. Sorry, Zorbus mentioned her. Bubulina, and, yeah, it's a name. Exactly. Bubulina, nickname, Bubulina is his <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of, uh, yeah. Yeah. To
3: this day, when you would say the woman is Gatsi, and you know? mm, Bubulina, Bubulina. her. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And one last thing, actually, we didn't ask where Bratislavs was from. Do you want to tell us where you're from, your, your history, your ancestry? Oh, my God. So there was a bit of a connection possibly
3: <laughs> well, mentioned me it. and you. <laughs> As but, I you know. mentioned to you, my DNA was totally erroneous. You know, I even found something from the Baltic Sea. But I was born in, um, in, in Pyrgos, Olympia. It's Olympia. My father's from Olympia and my mother from the city of the town of Kresner. But I grew up in Olympia where the Olympic Games began. So sure. There, you know, very interesting, the, the Valley of Alpheus River. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, which is really sort of a kind if I may say, the but, most. Deb- but you
2: did a DNA testing, and your ancestors came back as
3: anything. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a second. I thought that would be you a bit of a from ter- I thought that would be a bit of Turkish or Albanian or something. Nothing. It was. Uh-huh. Um, listen to this now. It was Baltic Sea, Lithuanian, Latvian, this kind of things.
4: Yes. Well, blue eyes?
3: Greek, Italian, Dutch.
4: Dutch.
0: Wow. Hang
2: I said, on a second. I go, I said, you told me on the car trip here, you got a bit
3: of Ipirodi in Iperod, you. my great, 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 great That's all want to hear. That's what he's digging for. <laughs> from, he's <laughs> going for his Suli, own blood. from Suli, Africa. Uh, You're uh, a Sulioti like yeah. me. <laughs> but he uh, the, the probably other, related. The other great grandfather was called Venezianacos, the Venetian. Mm. Uh-huh.
4: So, Italian so he probably related well. to Tom. No, uh, maybe. Yeah. You know, yeah. just,
3: and then, as I said, we have all this incredible DNA, which I don't really believe the DNA test, or, you know, I think it's highly uh, imagine, uh, imaginative, mm-hmm. <laughs> they recreate your <laughs> your origins. But they found this Dutch, they found this Baltic, they found this thing. thing. What am I doing here? <laughs> Where is my soul? Mm, uh, well. The source of my existence. You're an Iperoti, mate. That's I'm I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then
1: finally, you're from, from Kofu. I am from Kofu, yes. Entirely. entirely. Both mother and father? Yes, and wife. <laughs> and everyone. Wife. As it, far back as we know, yes. In, in, the, words too, of, in the words of great... Ipirote, uh, so my
2: great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Iperoti from Suli, the mountains of Suli.
1: In the words
4: of the great Mikis Eldorakis, Punavroti psyche mu. Psyche, right? Psyche, psyche. Tetrafilodakri.
3: Beautiful. Well, thank you. Tetrafilodakri. Yeah, You know that Angelopoulos made this incredible film, Ulysses' gaze, the music by Karaindro, you remember that one. And it starts that one, like that one. The famous platonic statement. If a, a soul, a psyche, mm. Wants to find psyche. another psyche, psyche, is psychin vlepteon must mm. look into another. Oh my psyche. God! <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> Talk
4: about tingles! Is <laughs> oh, wow. psychin vlepteon. Is that
3: where Platon
2: said humans are created with two heads, four arms, Symposium. four legs? Symposium. And, oh. and we split in half, and you spend the rest that's of your life that's love. Trying to find
3: your other half. The quest wow. for the other half is. Symposium. Oh, that's beautiful. The speech mm-hmm. of Aristophanes, which is an incredible thing. I mean, whoever loves, loves uh, like this, you know, trying to find what is missing, the other half that was cut off by the gods. Yes. Mm.
2: Half of them, so...
4: Yes. Let's, let's just explore this. Yeah, 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 yeah. For, for the next seven <laughs> right, hours. You know what You know, what the, you know what this has just reminded
1: me of? You know how they say that when it's time to leave, <laughs> they say goodbye and then they never leave. It's like the next three <laughs> hours you're at the top the, episode. At that
3: moment, they say the most important things. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. exactly. How deep sta- was sta- the sta- last five minutes? They me say, in the, the, <laughs> the yes. corridor. You Yes. Because in the diadromos, in the corridor, you simply... Announce the most important thing. Exactly. It's like on a conclusion, the finale. It's, got a, it's like a bang.
2: Yeah. <laughs> More
1: important. Well, that's exactly what we've done. That's right. Exactly. We've right out- oh, oh, run out of a tick with you. Oh, yeah. The, the, the we've polished on the one of then. <laughs> one and a half, actually. Oh, dear. Well, guys, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Guys, email us at uzotalk at outlook.com. Find us on social media at uzotalk and Uzor underscore talk on Instagram. Nick thank you very much, mate. Uh, Awesome, Tom. You're a champion. Awesome. It's been fantastic.
2: I love it. I've had too much to drink. (laughs) (laughs) I think so too. Yeah. I
1: think we all have. Oh dear. I love it. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us in the distillery, guys. We'll see you next time.
0: (laughs)